Are you made of stone or are you a duck? Are you made of stone or are you a duck? That is the question. Hey everybody and welcome back to another all new X's for show, your premiere show where we talk about all the best media each week and more. I'm Nico and you can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N where I am of course representing everybody's favorite Magnum P.I. copycat. That's right. Of course I am Sunspot, uh, little known thing Sunspot and... Uh, Dale are both meant to represent sort of the um, like masculine identity that was forged out of Tom Selleck's fucking majestic chest hair. That, that and uh, I, I goddamn Kevo, I just wanted ten thousand points. I just love that you're wearing your hat. I too love it. I have to tell you, I was. Uh, you guys are on my smaller screen because I can fit the smaller screen right under the camera, so it more easily looks like I'm on there. Um, and when I, when we start the broadcast, it's really small. I don't. I can't see any of you on video. And when we get going, I make it full screen. And so right when we clicked on, and I was like smiling into my camera, was when I first saw your outfit, Kevo. And it is so good. You guys are adorable chipmunks. Uh, thank you and i'm only sorry that i could not grow the mustache and get i believe nico said roided out on cheese uh mm-hmm. in order to get there with you but uh monterey jack but uh monterey jack Marble cheese were... egg. kevo uh where can everybody find you and what is your name uh i'm kevo you can find me at kevo really that's k-e-v-o-r-e-a-l-l-y and i of course am uh representing uh the counterpart to this dude uh rocking the faux indiana jones look that is chip from the uh chippendale rescue rangers adventures i'm probably not going to keep this hat on uh but uh shout out to our buddy jeff who made the hat for me uh very cool. I just asked if he could, you know, make the ears, and the hat came in the mail one day. So, uh, thanks, cutie. And that's one of those things where, like, uh, you know, I can't say enough positive things about the magic of the cosplay network and uh, how great every one of those people is. And now, TK, because you've already spoken at length, more than more than we care to hear from you, frankly. Uh, um, frankly, I think that's the correct instinct. I just, I can't even with you again. Uh, but uh, Just in you- case... In case uh, anybody else thinks you're super handsome. Like I you. am representing uh, Gargoyles, just, you know, uh, and a little bit the uh, Cola Cult from that one episode of Chippendales that I can never stop talking about or singing the song from. Uh, that's me, TK. You can find me at XNateXGrayX. I love it. Right. And we are here to talk about a sort of um, magical, I don't know how to explain it. One of the things that like 
the Disney afternoon and sort of like Disney as a, a whole represents for so many of us is this magical intersection of so many of our childhood experiences, whether it directly applied to you or you felt you were on the outside of it, because the absence of Disney in your childhood is kind of as much a part of a childhood as the inclusion of Disney by virtue of the ubiquity, the inescapability of Disney as a brand. If you weren't a part of the Disney experience, that also kind of fucking stands. You know what I mean? So, like, I feel like we're here to talk about a pretty pinnacle thing for anybody who's roughly of our age, and that is the Disney afternoon. Yeah, it's very much one of those, you know, you the negative space can show you a lot about the shape as well. And I was thinking about it a lot as we were gearing up for this, and uh, I... I'm only slightly older than you guys, and I have two older sisters that, like, made sure my media was a little bit more adult than my age anyway. So I realized a lot of the Disney stuff that we're going to talk about, I, like, just had aged out of. I was not technically too young for the Goofy movie, but I, when the Goofy movie came out, I felt, I was like, I'm too old to be watching this movie. Um... And that to me, like, as I was reviewing all the material we were talking about, there was a lot that I was like, okay, so I grew into older media right around here, right around a lot of this stuff. It's, you know, like, it's happening as more of these shows are coming out. Now, Kevo, you know, one of the things that I really love uh, for us is you came with a love of a lot of this programming, maybe not to the like disturbed lack of all else uh, extent that maybe I came, but uh, you know, a lot of this definitely was your childhood. And uh, what is the Disney afternoon to you? Um, you know, I think it was some shows more than others. Uh, for me, I never really took to the Duckverse the way that I knew that you had. But, uh, you know, a lot of these shows definitely very heavily imprinted on me uh, as well. Gargoyles being one for sure that hugely imprinted on me. Uh, you know, I love to say that we grew up in one of the best explosions of children's entertainment in the 90s. Where, yes. uh, you know, right around the same time it was Nickelodeon was developing in a big way where we got Nicktoons and Snick. Uh, Fox Kids developed its afternoon programming block. Saturday morning got really tight. And on WPX, we had the Disney afternoon. And it there was such a variety of programming in that way as well, where if you weren't a Disney afternoon kid, perhaps you were a Fox Kids kid instead. And, you know, I was all of them. Uh, and, you know, I... Like you say, I definitely came uh, to this family with my own love of Disney. And uh, yeah, Disney Afternoon uh, was a huge thing. I remember ads on the Disney World buses for it on our first trip to Disney World in like the late 80s. Yeah, they really, uh, this was when they were really trying to rebuild the disney brand in a huge huge way between the renaissance and revamping the disney stores and uh this programming block 
And, you know, I think hitting on that there were so many options for us as kids really exposes part of what this becomes. The Disney Afternoon represented an entry point for so many people who wanted to have access to this stuff and never did. You know, when I was doing my research for some of this programming, I see some of the uh, the all-time greatest up on the, the screen right now. But, you know, Jungle Book was meant to be essentially... So, my God, see, I just did it. Tailspin is basically Jungle Book. It's, you know, yeah. Mowgli is just kit cloud kicker and rebecca is just kind of you know proto she's kind of bagheera well she's she's like becky is what she is yeah it's kind of like they didn't quite have down the strong female lead on a cartoon yet so she does come off a little bit like below and that's not my favorite um, but like then you, know, you got like Goslin and Gadget, like it's all over the place. Yeah, well, I, exactly. I found out some crazy stuff. Darkwing Duck was created as a last second replacement when they discovered that they didn't own the rights to Rocky and Bullwinkle. So it was going to be about Launchpad and probably feature uh, Gizmo and Gyro and a lot of the expanded duck verse. And then they came up with, you know, going with a little bit more of a. And you can see it. And we, we're going to talk a lot about this. But like they were so unsure what the Disney Afternoon was going to be. A lot of it was produced in simultane. So, like, both versions of Darkwing Duck were kind of produced around the same time. And so there's this really heavy Darkwing Duck as a spy thread. And then there's Darkwing Duck as Batman as a thread. Bonkers, mm-hmm. they initially produced the later run female partner episodes, but felt that they were too unfocused and they produced the male partner episodes first, created them as a prequel, and led that into the episodes they thought were maybe a little bit weaker so that they could be made stronger. Like so much of this, you know, was really about finding a way to capitalize on an industry that had been waiting for attention that had been waiting for people to be eager for it. If I'm surprised about anything, it is perhaps the products that got touched. You know, I see DuckTales. That makes a lot of sense. You know, as the the biggest freaking duck fan I know, makes a lot of sense. You know, Darkwing Duck as an extension of the Duckverse makes a lot of sense. Chip and Dale, of course, two of the most incredible stars of the Disney pantheon. Because I do kind of talk about them like they're celebrities a little bit. But like, um, you know, Jungle Book surprising bonkers based on roger rabbit didn't work out with roger rabbit for a million reasons they decided to run the show anyway bonkers makes some sense to me marsupalami like i'm all for it even and i love the design and the the incredible background on it but when i think what things from the disney vault need to be touched i think unrelated French cartoon characters about fully grown marsupials with families that we're just going to throw out all the cannon for. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe um, Tailspin came out of the fact that Jungle Book had just come out on VHS. And so our generation was falling in love with it again. Or at least uh, that, and was... it was seeing a lot of re-release in theaters. Yeah, as exactly. Well. It was one of the first movies I saw in theaters that I remember. So yeah, right. um, yeah, because we were, you know, I'd... VHS had won the tape war, and mm-hmm. we were building our collections, and we had these great 
Disney movies from Little Mermaid to Beauty and the Beast to Aladdin that were coming out that we were seeing in theaters expecting to own. And meanwhile, we're getting this back catalog. And I, one of the things I think is really fascinating is it takes till the mid 90s for us to do the princess stuff for us to have a little mermaid tv show and uh to have more stuff that is specifically young girl focused rather than being boy focused in a way that the girls will take the crumbs they can get um and it's very funny that a lot of these early shows are male leads mostly male adventures there's not really a lot of like princess stuff or stuff that we recognize as being associated with what was the girl disney stuff back then but that ends up happening it just takes a little bit it takes these shows getting everybody's kind of expectations that we're going to have disney shows happening into the public kid consciousness well and what's funny too is that little mermaid is actually um like early to mid 90s but it was never hyper successful it was never really the hit that people remember the way they remember aladdin yeah. and yeah you know you're absolutely right that disney afternoon was a lot of action adventure uh there were female characters like you pointed to gadget and goslin but they were never the focus um little mermaid for lack of a better word uh well no i don't i don't want to use a better word it floundered and uh, a lot of people, I feel like, wouldn't necessarily even immediately remember that The Little Mermaid got an animated series. Well, and the the little bit of research I did into that animated series, just to find out that, like, it actively sought to, like, develop canon. So let alone remember that the show existed, understand that it, like, actually sought to do things. I think I what that, a lot yeah. of people don't realize is there's some... Um, interesting significant moments in like cross promotional re-release history i feel like if i said to a lot of people hey do you remember that disney afternoon-esque little mermaid show they'd be like no but if i was like in harmony a lot of people would immediately break out into that song because even if you didn't know it from the animated show which is totally reasonable that not every eight-year-old was watching you know wwor at four in the morning uh, it was on VHSs and it was included in uh, sing-alongs and it was in repackagings and it would run sometimes as a single track uh, between things on early Disney Channel because Disney Channel didn't used to have commercials. So it used to run little bumpers like that. And even if you didn't have Disney Channel, there were those preview weekends. So, you know, there's a lot of material that even if you weren't super familiar with it, there was a lot of ways to get access to it. And it was growing up in this era and on all of this stuff that is like a huge part of why I am a such I am such a yes remake and remodel and revamp stuff and give me new versions and like we wouldn't have tailspin we wouldn't have ducktails we wouldn't like every single thing on this image is an existing Disney IP from before Disney afternoon by like decades at least and you know you want to make it a good version obviously but like that's what so much of the disney afternoon is is just rebuilding off of ips so with that in mind let's take a look let's take a, a trip and you know slip on a dream 
and let's take a look at the classic Disney afternoon, the the shows that define this block of programming. And I think for a lot of people, they forget that this whole shebang started way before the Disney afternoon itself actually started as a number of these shows began before the block existed. Um, Because, well, the Disney afternoon began properly in September of 1990. Uh, You could take an ounce of bounce and a pound of pounce uh, with ripe gummy berries and burying amounts. You could uh, put them in the pot till extremely hot. It'll make enough to last a week. And that is quite a lot. Uh, There was a soundtrack that, uh, had uh all of these incredible songs on it and so like i grew up like not just familiar with the actual theme songs but like the bonus tracks uh so gummy bears which um ran six seasons 65 episodes across 95 segments because it was one of those shows where it was like some segments were 12 minutes some segments were 22 minutes uh had a number of pretty unforgettable songs um including rough tough burly sailors the song that made me gay um the lyrics are like we're rough tough burly sailors as tall as we are wide and the ocean's just an itty bitty pond with gummies on the other side you're telling me that i listen to a song about being a big burly guy who's being promised that there's just like hot bears waiting for you on the other side of this ship i no wonder i'm a homosexual so uh Gummy Bears is this really weird kind of moment in Disney Afternoon canon because, like, it is in so many ways, like, the proto show. And so many creators reference it. And, uh, you know, there's huge trace elements of it in a number of our other things. It managed to do some uh, iffier topics, like anything where you get your superpowers from a potion. You got to be careful because that's basically drugs. But, like... Well, but- the gummy bears kind of do it like it's tradition. It's not a potion, even though it's gummy berry juice. It's like it's just part of their biology. They just get their energy from it. It's a really interesting, well-managed thing. Um, and so many of the storylines were serialized and semi-dramatic in ways that hadn't really been attempted by Disney as much before, certainly in a televised format. They had just in this time had the huge failure that was black cauldron and so doing this thing that was in that style in so many ways was a huge risk and it's this thing of it's gummy bears and you turned it into this action adventure franchise it just it seemed so nuts that they would even try and like you said so many things from later in the disney afternoon reference this gargoyles was hugely inspired by gummy bears it was supposed to originally be a little bit more uh toward this style of comedy where uh the gargoyles were going to be a little bit sillier uh they turned to stone when they fell asleep instead of you know it being a biological process and it was going to be a lot more comedic and a lot more like this because it was uh such a revolutionary style of children's television it's not like it was the first but it was the first done by disney and it was the first done so successfully that they were like this is a format let's 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 do serialized animated children's television in a way they're still doing to this day tk do you have any relationship with the gummy bears other than you know generally finding you know gummy bear boys kind of cute 
gummy bears is the one that i really basically don't uh that song obviously is uh in all of our brains forever if you've heard it once um yeah uh but there was a lot of bear shows uh back in our day you youngsters might not know this but uh you know there were the magical koalas where one of them had the compact there were two kinds of magical koalas there was the other koalas where they all had like boomerangs and like just didn't care for that show like lived in the suburbs but they were koalas um that's like i didn't care for little bear but i cared about rupert which again both bear shows yep uh, I like Teddy Ruxpin. Third one, uh, Teddy Ruxpin. Ruxpin. Um, so we were just uh, inundated with bear content, which you know uh, does explain all of this. Uh, I had to make some curatorial choices for my young self, and ultimately, the limited brain space that I am able to use, I decided to shunt off the gummy bear memories uh in favor of uh you know really probably ultimately just more moments from the x-men cartoon series but we'll get into it and i just want to point out that uh cubby is the little boy lead and he's the little pink dude uh yep. who's being cheersed up the highest in that group that's shot. a boy yeah that's cute and he's me um he's mischievous and always kind of hungry um but then i want to point out that this bitch that looks like mary martin and peter pan uh, yeah sunny and the only real complaint i have is that sunny um like longs to be a princess while the other gummy bears like long to have like jobs autonomy and she ultimately like winds up with a crush on a guy which is fine but I do feel like um, nowadays, gummy bears would be handled a little bit more, you know, care and dexterity. Uh, but, you know, the other thing is that the cast looks like a bunch of slack-jawed yokels. So, like, is, it this, is it this guy that she gets a crush uh, on? Yeah. Oh, no, I was Sunny. Ugh, that sucks. Nah, and I was Cubby. <laughs> I was really excited about food and always bouncing the highest and being the most mischievous. And, oh, you know some things don't change so um but yeah gummy bears big influence on me uh you know as a man who identifies as an adult bear you know um i think having you know i'm literally wearing a hat that says tennessee honey like i i'm a bear at all times like gummy bears maybe not my bear jam not my country bear jamboree but definitely a vacation hoedown i could go to a little bit of a you know but this was not the only early Disney afternoon show. And no, 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 no. I do think there is one early show that perhaps not Gummy Bears early, but far, far more uh, imprinting is DuckTales. I think DuckTales is one of the most significant cartoons of our generation. Um, between DuckTales and Chippendale Rescue Rangers, I think this 165 episodes really represents the bulk of a lot of our childhoods yeah i mean these are these are two of the really big ones um i think 
they set a lot of the tone for our understanding of media and the zeitgeist you know just like even the fact that uh you know chip is magnum pi dale is uh indiana jones two of the more popular male role models or like leading men that we will see of the um, 80s yeah uh, you know a lot of the episodes of these shows are uh like send-ups of stuff that uh, our parents are watching or they are kid eyes versions of storylines that we will see repeated over and over again in media. the malt shake fountain instead yep. of the maltese falcon yep and it really is just like kind of prepping us for understanding the media landscape in this way that like it also you know makes it cheap if you don't really have to innovate new storylines you just need to find ways to make the storylines palatable to children especially when you're already using like pre-owned concepts it's exactly. really just like spin that wheel mix and match wheel of morality turn 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 kevo tell us the lesson that we should learn you know one of the things that i see from this is we live in an era of six seasons in a movie and sure enough ducktales legend of the lost lamp movie um we also live in an era where my favorite example is that 70s show and Malcolm in the Middle both ended the same day and mm. that 70s show had eight seasons and 200 episodes, whereas Malcolm in the Middle had seven seasons and 150 episodes. I do not think the eighth season of that 70s show was 50 episodes long. Um, and when I look at DuckTales, I see that DuckTales ran 100 episodes across four seasons across pretty much four years. But, you know, Chip and Dale ran a year and a half, three seasons, 65 episodes. And I think that sort of discrepancy actually does speak to the way we remember a lot of these shows very differently. There's like 13 episodes of Salute Your Shorts with one guy and 13 with the other. You know what I mean? So how do you feel about looking at these two shows side by side when they're like the pinnacle shows? Well, and it's one of the ways that I am very excited to uh, cover disney afternoon in a uh in a uh deeper less relaxed uh video someday because these these numbers when you look into how some of these shows were released is just so bizarre and fascinating in that ducktales got its 65 episode order in its first season and then it got like weird episode orders after that where it was like a season of 10 a season of 18 and then a season of seven that came out after the ducktales movie and there is like specifically a character from the movie who's in one of those episodes and that's just so random to make seven more and be done and i know there's a similar thing for darkwing where i think it got like the bulk of its episode order initially and then it got like 30 more on disney channel or something and Especially because it was back in a day where, you know, since the predominant audience was children, nobody cared, no one noticed. You could sort of be like, yeah, here's 30 more episodes randomly out of nowhere. Uh, we're going to see on, I think, the next slide, the entire series of Goof Troop aired in three months. And, and then it just continued airing those episodes just and who notices? 
vamp for one second. I'm going to go get something. I would have just kept talking if you hadn't said anything. <laughs> Do you have a specific favorite episode of either of these shows? <sighs> I don't think either of these in particular. Yeah. Uh, but like, there were always the there was there were always the, there were always these landmark tentpole episodes. Usually, it was the multi-parters that were some exciting event or something. Um, I have bigger ones for Tailspin coming up next that I'm like, yep, I remember Tailspin, which is weird because I feel like I liked Chippendale more. Mm. I didn't like the villain, though. But I think that's because he was gay coded. Yeah, there was a lot of that, too. Bet. What about you? I mean, as I, mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, for Chip and Dale's, it is the Cola Cult episode, which I just think is bonkers. And again, like such odd uh, preparation for what we're going to see in the news growing up at, after watching this. Like, I was fully ready for Heaven's Gate, having watched the, uh, the Cola Cult episode. Yeah, um, I get that. And... Uh, for any for DuckTales, it's any episode with magic and a spell. So I want to tell a magic story. Yeah. Um growing up, I loved comics a lot, and my parents were really indulgent. Um, and they loved buying me comics and something that my parents thought were like safe. Right, because like sometimes they would buy me like a Marvel comic and I would be like, oh, yo, this is awesome. And they'd be like, oh, tell me about what's in it. And I'd be like, so this guy gets his chest exploded and then this lady is in a swimsuit. And so like they would be like, maybe we don't give the nine year old Marvel comics right now. It was, the, you know, it was like 1994 and not that there was anything wrong with those things, but they wanted to control what I had. And so I did get a lot of Disney comics and like as an adult finding out that so many of the Disney comics I read as a kid are like actually like critically well loved and well respected. Uh, and so not only is TK, you know, my family, not only is he somebody that I, I couldn't live without. Uh, I love going up to Maine because one of the great things about uh, where he lives is the shops, the culture. It's, it's just really second to none. And uh, coast city comics, um, up in Maine made an unbelievable deal with me on uh, free comic book day last year. I mean, I really think they had to take a loss uh, and they sold me this unbelievable IDW artist edition of life and time of Scrooge McDuck, which uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, there was a guy named Carl Barks who did a lot of, early significant work on uh, the Duckburg universe and Disney comics. And then a guy named Don Rosa came along in the nineties and reorganized it into a really beautiful, carefully cultivated backstory, which would go on to be um, just so well respected. And it was coming out around the same time as DuckTales and DuckTales, of course, Finished production well before 1990 with Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck coming out in 1992 to 1994. But it's a synergistic rarity where the works that inspired DuckTales also, oh, Kevin, uh, what a great, uh, what a really great slide. Thank you. 
these yeah. works, uh, you know, would go on to win Eisner Awards, while the bulk of the original material is contained in 285 to 296, which has been lovingly and painstakingly recaptured uh, by so many wonderful companies over the years. Uh, the expanded edition also includes material from Uncle Scrooge, 297, 318, 306, 332. Walt Disney Giant number one, Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck Companion has some original material for it. But, uh, you know, when I think about DuckTales, I think about these stories. I think about like this gorgeous material that treats Scrooge McDuck like a classic literary character, not like a cartoon duck. And how if you can really give over to that, if you can really surrender to what is some of the most fine storytelling of its era, you can find like Alan Moore quality stories. They're just out of fucking cartoon duck and like and i think it's like bojack it's you know yes, meant to be yeah. an allegory it's meant to be viewing something through a more palatable perhaps lens uh but still trying to tell uh very real stories and you know i you know cartoons are great and the idea that cartoons can't tell real stories just because they're cartoons is unfair and is insulting to the medium i think you need to recognize a cartoon for what it is and what its limitations are but you know everybody fucking cries over that futurama episode with the dog for a reason and so many other episodes of futurama but yeah so I mean, many the bees it's uh the hills that we choose to die on with comics can be a little bit odd um if this is really a place where you feel you cannot set aside your disbelief in order to read something that is actually uh quite complex and uh emotionally rewarding um i feel like then you have no right to talk about like how you've learned about minority struggles through the x-men or you've learned about uh disability rights from matt murdoch yeah i don't want to be a dick but if you don't think you can learn about financial like seriously like like putting people out on their asses and like taking advantage of the poor. If you don't see capitalism and the pain of poverty run through the pages of life and times of Scrooge McDuck, you're literally not reading the text, not the subtext. It is the text. Yeah. Anyway, it's perfect. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about that on Wednesday when we, uh, return to comics. So, uh, yeah. Keep an eye out. I'm really excited. Uh, X is for show coming back to comics on Wednesday. I'm like gay bones for it. But uh, also Chippendale, I don't act it's so stupid. But like if Chippendale were dudes, yeah, I would see the shipping on this. I don't always see like straight bro shipping. But like if they weren't brothers, like I can see where this is a proto relationship that inspired a generation of shippers before they realized it by playing it out as little kids. There's a lot of queer coding here. Monterey Jack is just like, you know that Monterey Jack would basically be me following around butts. You know what I mean? Like he would just be a big horn dog. Gadget is, I think Gadget is like the ultimate pan icon. I was going to say, she's really pan. You want to, you want to say lesbian because she's so efficient and like works with tools, <laughs> but no, there's so much more going on with this character i think you are absolutely right pan 100 percent, and you know i think dale is as well oh yeah 
Oh my god, the fact that Dale was never played by Matt LeBlanc is just a damn shame. Um, I, yeah, I think Dale is as well, but I do think that, you know, Dale and Chip and Chip and Dale, I mean, it just like, also to put, as I was mentioning earlier, two of the like masculine icons of the generation before us that we were being introduced to at this time in, you know, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones and Tom Selleck is Magnum P.I. to put them together in a fictional cartoon context where you already get to kind of be thinking outside the box there's kind of no way not to go in that direction and speaking of unavoidable directions i think one of the things that the disney afternoon did maybe a little bit better than most programming blocks is it understood the holistic design it understood how to round out a, a cast of shows and so one of the things that I think the programming block offered wasn't just these, right? But uh, if we could go to the next slide, please. Oh, I love that image. That's great. Right. It was a D23 one. Now, one of the things that's a little bit interesting is that Tailspin does represent the final of the originals. And then Darkwing Duck represents the first of the new. But... I, tailspin what a hard thing to talk about because i think it's well remembered but i don't know for what like beautiful visuals incredible colors great characters really memorable song um it really actually it had other really great songs too it had a specific song called monkey in your tank which is like a classic doo-wop number and it's it taught me every you know i uh i'm friends with a, a tremendous performer named Jacob who's also a, a huge comics nerd, huge comics fan and he one time said to me I learned kind of everything I needed to know about Harmony from listening to Indigo Girls um, Closer to Fine and I feel like I learned everything I needed to know about Harmony from Monkey in Your Tank uh, so I, I get the vibe um, but you know so we're the same we're the same. I'm also a gorgeous, <laughs> hyper-muscled, six-foot-two, stunning baritone. Yeah, same here. Uh, no, I, I settle for six-foot-one and a tenor. But uh, so the main thing I want to say about Tailspin is it ran one calendar season, 65 episodes, May to August of the following year. So many of these shows have uh, kind of like a different take on the same thing, but this is almost verbatim what Chip and Dale got. It's just one season instead of three, which in some way kind of feels less than. Hmm. Almost like they said, okay, we ordered Tailspin and we got everything we need from it. We're done. Now, in today's TV landscape, that says cost efficiency. But back then's TV landscape, it almost says like... Sorry about it, but anthropomorphic John Goodman can't lead a TV show. You know, and I, I, I do think that part of it is we were introduced to the Jungle Book and it was a, a movie that I think we all enjoyed. And there was some recognition. There was some brand and IP recognition. But ultimately, that one wasn't that big to us. Uh, you know, had it been the crew of the Lion King flying planes, I think maybe it might have gone for the the requisite six seasons in a movie. But 
I just think the references here were a little bit uh, not where we were at. So it could be entertaining for a minute, but we weren't going to cling to it the same way that we clung to DuckTales and Chippendales. I'm nine. Give me Rudard Kipling. <laughs> and because it was in so many ways so far removed, even just from uh, the actual original uh, Jungle Book, like there's Baloo, there's King Louie, sure, and there's Shere Khan as a businessman. <laughs> And then that's really it. It's yeah. an animal world, but like Wildcat's not anyone. Don Carnage isn't anyone. Yeah, but I watch Balloon go. I would watch Baloo go to town on Don Carnage. Like, but like that. I think is even a huge part of it, where they took characters from Jungle Book and did something new and interesting. But it's in such a far removed way. They're yeah. flying. It's a world where everyone travels mostly by plane and that's where that's how you deliver packages. Oh my god, Kevo it's like, Saints Maximus. Well, but it's also it's Futurama, but instead of space, it's the regular sky. And instead of planets, it's islands and island hopping and all of that stuff. But yeah, it's it's this really bizarre world in the first place that they mapped randomly these characters from the jungle book on and frankly we barely see shere khan in the show yeah. he's always this shadowy figure who rarely if ever leaves that office and he's very intimidating and 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 that was it so it's again really mostly baloo and louie who interacted in one song in the original movie so a lot of it was really bizarre so ultimately we know most of these characters more from tailspin and frequently than we do jungle book yeah i i really love you pointing out my favorite thing in the entire world which is we love to impose our super favorite canon on stuff because kevo when you say that baloo and king louie had one song together one scene together in the film one of the pinnacle musical numbers from tailspin 65 episodes is friends for life which is a song where Baloo and Louie talk about how they've been through everything together. And like, I don't want to... A lot of their numbers were actually big. Like, a lot of the numbers in the show were theirs. At... Yeah. And I don't want to sound silly, but I don't know that you could have the character of Jay on Modern Family without this iteration of Baloo. Who's kind of like, sure. oh, man, I guess I'll be the dad. Like... This idea of begrudging but softy, like it just didn't exist. This evolution of the way. Archie Bunker. Yeah. Yeah. The Archie Bunker used to be like, yeah, but inside there's still a fucking spike for you. So get close enough so it can kill you when you hug me. <laughs> Baloo is a little bit like, yeah, but I'm a soft baby inside. And like that works for Baloo and it creates an engaging character. The other thing is, yeah, you know, I don't think you could have. Banjo-Kazooie. I don't think you could have Crash Bandicoot. I don't think you could have, uh, you know, a generation of gaming, a uh, generation of platformers without the design of Tailspin, which wrote an understanding of stylized iterations in a way that perhaps the Rocketeer failed to do for live action, but Tailspin accomplished, I mean... Guys, I've been wearing aviator jackets because of Baloo since I'm five years old. 
it's really funny because my reference for tailspin in video games was going to be pilot wings or you know the tailspin video game i wanted yes. that foil thing that kid cloud kicker had so no. badly yeah i just my whole life i was like why can i not just like whip out a thing and, and just slide that seems this absurd is to me that i can't do that i should be able to <laughs> I couldn't understand why I'm not allowed to just run around in a green parka and no pants. I mean, you do it anyway. Yeah, you I do. do. I like... do need Kick Cloud, Cloud Kicker sweater, though. I love that green sweater. That is what I've always wanted. Like, people talk about anime food. I mm -hmm. need that green sweater. And, like, I think you could do a really great blue cosplay in that hat. Uh, an open-cut shirt like that and a pair of gray slacks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the slacks are a knockout. And now... also. It, enough cannot be said about the fact that the uh, one Tailspin crossover episode that we were able to get in DuckTales featured Max and Jane from Happy Endings playing the adult Kid Cloud Kicker and Molly Cunningham. and On modern DuckTales, not on classic DuckTales. Yeah, on modern DuckTales. And I need more of that so badly. But what are you going to do? And I just want to say that not enough can be said for Rebecca and her daughter on uh, Tailspin. Like, you know, we lived in an era where women were made to definitely feel secondary in animated shows. And I don't think she quite did what we needed. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, I feel she played a very Raymond kind of role. Um, but what I really appreciate is that when I take a look at the design of Rebecca... I do actually see like a thought out character. She's not girl blue the way that I feel like a lot of like female Wookiees are just like Wookiee, but they put a pink bow on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I feel like when I look at Rebecca as a kid, I like I projected like an Aunt Becky's worth of woman on. Yes. Her. <laughs> and what a performance from Sally Struthers. Truly, really, Sally truly, Struthers. where. When I real when I learned that's who played Rebecca Cunningham as an adult, I was like, "Holy crap! She's kinky boots." Yeah, she she she's bad. Yeah, she's Babette on Gilmore Girls. She's Archie oh. Bunker's daughter to bring it full circle. Uh, one more time, Baloo, go to town on Shere Khan. I would uh, watch the hell out of that scene, like Austin Wolf as Baloo. You know, so. Um, and now let's talk about my childhood hero. Let's talk about the only guy I've ever wanted to be with all my heart and soul. The only man I, I have ever thought is cool enough to be is Darkwing Duck. Uh, as a kid, you know, when this debuted, I knew like right away because already as a little kid, I was super into like uh, noir kind of like Batman, the animated series kind of stuff. I liked anything that had like a little bit of mystery to it. Uh, there weren't enough Cam Jansen books for me. And I don't know. I fell in love with uh, Darkwing Duck as a little kid. And I never quite grew out of it. There's pictures of me meeting him over and over again in the Disney parks. And uh, I had a horrible lisp as a child and a terrible speech impediment. And so like I would, I, so, so I would say things like, I'm Nicholas Joseph Asillo and Darkwing Duck is my favorite. And like, this was like my, my baby bear, my badge to, to bear. Like it was, man, I said that sentence so deformed so many times. Um, 
you know and it's really interesting because like even as a kid i understood that it's so stupid but as a kid i understood that like i physically appreciated the size of launchpad more but there's something at the heart of who darkwing duck is that is so genuine you know it's fitting that he's voiced by jim cummings because he actually has a lot of the quintessential elements that make a poo bear and like not to be silly but like i do actually like you know in in my daily life i kind of really do identify as a poo bear i don't know that anybody should want anything more than to eat all day never wear pants and to live near all of their friends i don't know that anything could be greater than that and um i just i really identify with that and darkwing duck actually really kind of has some of that he just wants to protect his city um he kind of just wants to be left alone uh just just fuck off is what you should do and um and he loves launchpad he he's kind of in a gay relationship with launchpad it's a little complicated because he also has a phenomenal love interest that i don't want to Oh, oh, do I have her on a cover right here? Uh, do I have her? Do I have her on a cover right here? Oh, I do. I do. I'm always ready to go. So, um, I, love her. I don't know. I think Darkwing Duck is like the most significant thing on my uh, psyche uh, as a kid next to Daredevil, perhaps. Um, not only was there an incredibly successful show, but there was a, a tremendously successful line of comics uh, this book, the Joe book, uh, definitively dangerous edition goes for like five and $600 on Amazon. And tragically, uh, not a single dime goes to James Silvani. So, you know, unless you can buy one of these from him at a con, you know, figure out how you want to get it. Um, then there were two follow-up volumes, uh, that were released uh, a little bit later on, and they were released by Joe Books Limited as well. Uh, there's two volumes of those. And now, thanks to the success of a show that we're going to get to in just a little bit, but I could not be more grateful in this entire world to the success of Gargoyles. Uh, because without the success of Gargoyles, there would be no The Return of Darkwing Duck in comics. Uh, it's such a great time to be a Darkwing fan. Um, Do you want that slide? No, we're doing that later. Yeah, and I mean, we're going to really get in depth with the Darkwing comics um, on Wednesday, uh, the Darkwing comics and the Gargoyles comics. But uh, I just I really needed to say that, like, you know, this was like my favorite thing as a little kid. There was so little merchandise. There was the one plush. There were six action figures, the one motorcycle, the jet. There was the T-shirt. There was the screen printed shirt available in Disney. There was just like a very limited amount compared to like Chip and Dale, which there were thousands of pieces of merchandise. And so like something like Donald, uh, Donald, something like Darkwing Duck making it, you know, two seasons, almost 100 episodes from September to December of the following year. But to this day continues to be so significant on our cultural landscape that it's being published in comic format with 28 covers to the first issue. And it just it means a lot to me that this meant so much to me as a kid and that you guys care so much that we're talking about it as adults. I got to say, it didn't have the same impact on me, but it was... Hold on, I'm removing you. It was... It. Um, omnipresent. Like, it. this really was, like, 
you could not get the Darkwing Duck theme song out of your head as a kid. Um, and there was just a charm. It's, I mean, like, we'll talk about it with Gargoyles, but, like, the holy trinity of, like, action cartoons for us was X-Men, Gargoyles, and Batman. All of which, amazing cartoons, taught me how to love serialized storytelling, allowed me to love comic books. Fun in their own way, but not never really lighthearted. Like, X-Men, even when it tries to do a lighthearted episode, isn't funny, uh it, it's not like they don't manage to do humor they manage to adapt the big beats of comic storytelling onto uh, small screen animation very well but there's a lot of like qualities besides drama that are missing from the writing of frankly all three of those shows batman gets it right more than any of the others but they're all very serious and very dramatic for kids cartoons and that's okay that's what they're there for but Darkwing Duck was your kind of, if you were somebody like me, it was your companion piece to let you experience those stories with just a little bit of levity and remind you that you can't take them too seriously uh, because no matter what, they all are, they are all cartoons. About uh, ducks, dude. About- uh, and about men who turn into big badgers yeah. and about a guy whose parents died. So he dresses as vermin and fights men in giant ice castles. Yeah. Exactly. And I, you know, I, I don't blame the creators of those amazing programs for not necessarily knowing how to find the irony and the funny for a kid's program. But I do love that we had... Darkwing as this like moment in the lineup even though you know they were on different networks they were on our personal lineups we knew which ones we were watching in which you could see you might see an episode of Darkwing Duck that week that was basically the same episode as Batman but funny and allowing you to to laugh and have some fun with it and that really is one of the big joys of Darkwing Duck to me uh also like again just phenomenal references uh, not just to Batman, but to heroes like Phantom X and, or Phantom Ma and Zorro. And uh, I would love Launchpad as Phantom X. Hey, I'm an international French guy of mystery and I got a fucking magic fingernails. I feel like if uh, Darkwing is Phantom X, then that makes Launchpad Ava. I'm a which floating is, spaceship. It's it, its own glorious idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was very cool to get to get some of our media landscape situated for us by these shows. I said that earlier just about the idea broadly, but pointing specifically to Darkwing Duck doing that job of giving us a lot of the superhero trope references in a way where we could smile at them a little more. Very impressive. So my sweet Goslin, tell me, what is Darkwing Duck to you other than just my favorite cartoon from childhood? Uh, you know, it's funny. These two are ones, like I was saying earlier, TK, where I really remember the tent poles from these shows. There was a lot of filler, as there was with a lot of these cartoons. But uh, with Tailspin, 
uh, the pilot, the multi-part pilot where um, Cape Suzette is under attack by the lightning gun. Remember that one? Sure do. Um, and the one where Baloo and Louie go on an adventure with an archaeologist that was clearly very heavily Indiana Jones inspired. I remember that one. Uh, as for Darkwing, the multi-part pilot, or, you know, not pilot actually, but what was meant to be the introduction to the Darkwing series that we know, where Darkwing adopts Goslin, uh, her adopted father dies, you know, super dramatic, uh, and at the same time, lots of whoopee cushion and custard cream pie jokes in there, because it's all over the place. I remember that. I remember the Superman parody episode of Darkwing. Do you remember this? Where there's like this alternate origin story for Negaduck, where Darkwing came from a Darkwing Duck planet to Earth, and like Negaduck is actually from like the Negaduck planet or something. Completely out of canon, so bizarre, but it was the type of far less serious stories that Darkwing allowed itself to do. I really liked TK pointing out, you know, this trilogy of action adventure shows that there was where it was X-Men, Batman, and Gargoyles. And I feel like it was cascading down from there how seriously they took themselves. X-Men took itself very seriously. I feel like Batman took itself more seriously than you would have thought for a children's cartoon, but was never too over the top. There were frequently, there was comedy in there, but it was still a bizarrely adult targeted series. And Gargoyles was more adult than you would expect while still having kids stuff in it. You would get the custard cream pie jokes, but then you would also get like, our entire family was smashed to death. So then this was my derp, you know, walking along gesture, not smashing the family gesture. Uh, for once, it lined up awkwardly. Um, and Darkwing tried to take itself a lot less seriously, even though, you know, there were the serious episodes. It was mostly trying to be the lighthearted side of uh, this type of show. It was trying to channel... You know, so much of Darkwing feels like Danny Tanner, the way so much of Launchpad feels like Uncle Joey. They were trying to do, what if Batman was really a family man? Not kind of the way he's a family man in the comics, but like having to go to PTA meetings to keep his foster daughter. And so this blending between Batman and TGIF was a really unique take that I don't feel like we've seen done adequately as well since that I would love to see more of. And uh, that's part of what imprinted on me. He wasn't just a superhero, he was a dad. And they always made sure to emphasize, he's also her dad. And I just want to be weird for a second, I just remind everybody that the Batman we're talking about was, like, a homosexual, right? Like, um, it's just, it's Pride Month. And, like, the most significant Batman voice actor of all time was a gay man. And, uh you know, is the Batman voice that we all use because we make fun of Christian Bale. Um, you know, when you do uh, Michael Keaton as Batman, you're also just sort of doing Blaine Sternen, which is a Frasier reference to one of the all-time best uh, Frasier episodes ever. What, what, why did I just get shushed? <sighs> No one knows Frasier references. It's been 20 years. Stop it. 
Well, it's a great episode, but fine, it's Beetlejuice. Not. And um it's a bad episode. Funny as hell. So anyway, uh it's the memorable Batman. Thanks, guy. You're super great. We, uh, rest in power, rest in pride, and uh all the other super hot uh stuff you get for being, you know, an awesome gay Batman. Thank you. Um and speaking of awesome father figures, uh, one yeah. of the things that I really think about when I think about Goof Troop is, okay, and hear me out. This is the dumbest sentence I'm ever going to say. But no. I think there couldn't be a VOC without Goof Troop because to my memory, when I think about Doug or Rugrats, the balance of adults to children okay. is clearly in the favor of the children. Yep. When I think about the balance of adults to children on Darkwing, it's clearly in favor of the adults. And on it didn't Duck on 90210. Sure. Um, no one cared about the adults there. For DuckTales, it... <laughs> for DuckTales... It definitely cheated more toward Huey, Dewey, and Louie, where the adults got some of the action in the background in like a hard to explain way. Um, but Goof Troop really made me feel 50 50. Goof Troop made me feel 100% balanced. Yeah. Uh, the reason I started giggling for a moment, just so everyone knows, uh, the audio slowed down and then sped up to catch up to itself. So all of a sudden, the song sped up. <laughs> it made me want to talk on super speed. StreamYard was giving you a nightcore of your own song. That's a gift. Yeah, and so that's why uh, I started uh, giggling. So... Um... Anyway, so yeah, I, I do think that's the thing. I think that Goof Troop did. Uh, yeah, Kevo, you know, like one of the things you sold me with DOC on is it balanced the adults and the children. And that's something that the the uh, One Tree Hill cast never quite did, even though, you know, they're, they're parallel shows. Um, I think Goof Troop was like 50% adults and 50% the kids. And I, I just really think that that was the first show that I thought that. It's also... The first time I remember thinking, this is aimed at me and I'm getting older. Like, I remember thinking that these aren't Rugrats. Like, Max Goof is like, he's cool. I want to be a cool dog kid. He was a middle schooler, not an elementary schooler. Yeah. And I think there was so much focus on the adults because Goofy was really the entrance character. I can't remember if Max Goof existed before this show. He existed um, as Lil Goof. He existed yeah. as Little Goofy, who would appear in shorts, but he wasn't a defined character. He existed the way... Um, Oh, gosh, there was a character we were talking about earlier that I wanted to mention did exist prior to um, air. But, yeah, there's a number of characters like that. But that's a good question, Kevo. He was like just like a little goof prior to this. But even then, like he was just little goof the way that there were the there's the Mickey nephews or whoever. The, I don't know who those characters are, but I see them and stuff. 
um rodentio you know, and um mouse i didn't i didn't even know pete was a character before this because mickey shorts had gone so out of vogue that pete so who did what did i recognize pete from i i but goofy everyone knew goofy everyone knows goofy uh so that was the focus character in so many ways he was the steve urkel of his own show yes i i really get that you know and i i joked that pete's so hot but like uh obviously the guy who is um just dokes from um dexter uh from bonkers who's just like supplies motherfucker uh, that's obviously what I project onto Pete, clearly. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I think that Pete gave me a sense of as a kid, I knew Pete from stuff like Steamboat Willie-esque material because of DTV, which I've talked about extensively, which was a repackaging of classic cartoons set to um, more modern music, a la MTV-style music videos using recuts of... Um, the Disney usable silly symphonies cartoons they were just sitting on they couldn't make money on so I remember seeing Big Pete and being like wow this is kind of surprising and for those of you who were um, Epcot kids in the 80s there was a pavilion that was opened after the original run of Epcot pavilions known as the Wonders of Life. And the Wonders of Life featured a film called Goofy About Health, which featured Goofy as an alcoholic, chain-smoking, womanizing, hard-living, no-sleeping, work-addicted, road-rage motherfucker. And he needs to learn to get healthy. And then throughout the Wonders of Life Pavilion, you do things like ride, exercise, bikes, and like you learn about like how to live a healthy life. I always thought there was something really interesting about that was designed in like 1989. And then Goof Troop starts in 1992. So, you know, the idea of Goofy as a recognizable, livable character, a person we could relate to, and Donald as a person we could relate to, but Mickey still showing up in things as chairman emeritus and showing up in like the Muppets go to Disney world specials still as this magical figure. It's as though Disney was saying goofy Donald, these can be made into people. And in order to accomplish that Mickey's former rival, Pete needs to become goofy's rival. And in that way we can escalate Mickey to a higher status and then sort of devaluing the strength of a character like pete too truly yeah exactly make him less special in that way exactly and that's really truly i i did also it's hard not to notice it was hard not to notice in our childhood the way that mickey was not treated in that same way to the point where when donald and mickey make a very brief cameo appearance in a goofy movie you're like what do you mean those are real people they're not they can't no, mickey's not a person he's an entity and i don't know how i feel about that for the character it creates a weird distance in a way that you don't have with kermit and i think that's a little bit what i'm trying to talk about i think about how when marvel animation produced the muppet babies in the 1980s the logo for marvel animation was a pretty fucking creepy spider-man laying out on top of an m 
Spider-Man was never made off limits the way Mickey was made off limits. Once mm. Eisner left, I mean, you know, there's the occasional Eisner era Mickey mistake, like runaway brain. And look, I'm not here to, I, 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 can't, oh, it was what it was. Leave it alone. I can't We're have another fucking right fight now. about runaway brain like, again. Over. I'm moving on. Um, but you know, we see things in the Iger era, like the return to the identifiable Mickey of, um, action adventure short in the form of failures like Phil Spector's Epic Mickey's. Um, all three of those, but in the success of things like Runaway Railroad, which is so successful, it's leading to its own series of video games on the Switch. So I think Goof Troop kind of represents a pinnacle changing point for what is the functional purpose of the um, essential Disney offices in a way that you can see a, I mean this with love, a corruption of for bonkers. Bonkers is the first time they say, no, mm -mm, we're creating something totally new. Yeah, he's supposed to be Roger Rabbit, but it really looks like it's not something Disney exactly. It's the first time the lens is kind of blurred. Like you could have told me Bonkers was touch tone animation and I would have believed you. Gummy Bears really feels like a lost Disney idea that finally got made. But Bonkers is the first one where I'm like, this is a post-Animaniacs world, or at least a post-Tiny Toons world, and we're reacting. I was also going to say, like, you know, post-Ren and Stimpy. Like, it's it's very much the landscape of animation is changing. Uh, let's Let's throw something out there. And it's funny, Disney doesn't, throw a ton out there uh they they like to keep things very tight uh they like to work with the ip they have and have developed and that they know is tried and true uh and while you know it wasn't a success that they tried in the first place i find interesting and it does sort again it's that thing that you we were saying earlier of like looking at where this doesn't succeed and doesn't hold the same space in the conversation as the rest of these Disney shows, the shape of that negative space kind of tells you a lot about the environment as a whole. It's a landscape discussion. When you think about the contextualization, I really agree. Now, Kevo, you were the first person of our age that I remember, like, I'm going to, I've said this story three times. The first time I talked about um, the first time I saw a commercial for cat dog, I thought it was a joke. And then somebody was like, no, you've never watched cat dog. And I was like, no, fuck yourself. <laughs> I was insulted that they thought I would even think that would be a fake 30 second commercial for a fake show. No show. This is the theme song for a real show. And, like, you know, I come to find that, you know, you just got to change how you think about things to understand something you might not have expected. But, you know, like, and I've come to understand how bonkers, like, we're talking about it. It transformed television. But, you, Kevo, you're the first person of, like, our age group that said to me, you know, I thought bonkers was cool. And, like, I think that really reflects that you were the person that told me that Avatar The Last Airbender was cool in college. You know what I mean? 
you know, I feel like to so much of what I responded to in Bonkers is responding to what its original concept had been, where I was really obsessed with Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the, and the Who Framed Roger Rabbit concept. I loved Toontown. I found it so exciting and innovating and such a cool concept. That tunnel, the different land. I really loved all of that. And so um, Bonkers being developed into a TV series uh, from the general concept was something that I very much then responded to because I loved that. Uh, at the end of the day, I think I am ultimately happier with what we got than I would be if we had gotten a Who Framed Roger Rabbit television show of Roger Rabbit being a cop. Because, uh, God, that character can be grating in a way that I think they really uh, pulled back for hey, bonkers. Garrett, am I right? Uh, I really think that they made him a lot less constantly obnoxious constantly a, a screw up uh I, I don't know that they would have been able to develop the roger rabbit character in a way that it would have kept the same um but no i loved it i loved both the partners uh when i broke my wrist in second grade i insisted on a neon orange cast uh to my mom's ire <laughs> but uh yeah no i really loved the show well, it's one that I'm excited to give another chance to um, in loving all of these comics continuations. Like I briefly mentioned the Darkwing Duck one and enjoying going back and rereading and rewatching older Darkwing stuff. Like um, just to give a little bit of shout out. Thanks to again, Dar Gargoyles success. They did a reprint of the first ever Darkwing comic. So there's a lot of classic stuff that I'm enjoying going back and uh, looking at. And I know Bonkers is one of them, but. But, 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 but to take a look at next the, yes please at the next slide uh i can think of no show that uh any of us recognize as more serious uh as a bigger statement on the shut the fuck up tk as a bigger statement we know you're gonna say schnookums and me on the on the <laughs> fuck stop the, it sometimes you just gotta get to the joke and once kevin had already cut to the slide we're 73 minutes in just say it schnookums and me no one remembers it it's a spinoff of marsupalami um and i, I, I yeah no no i remember frank welker existed. are you serious frank welker is meat insane i remember it existing i never watched it it didn't look like my style it looked more like a nicktoon than i a think Disney it looks cartoon. more like an oh yeah cartoon to be really honest yeah, with nicktoons you. those are nicktoons no oh, I mean, yeah I'm, i guess cartoon network yeah i'm talking like ed ed and eddie shit i'm talking yeah like... it was weird i loved marsupilami but that was like cbs that wasn't that never made it to disney afternoon which actually in some markets um stuff like Disney Afternoon didn't exist. So everything we know as Disney Afternoon was CBS Mornings. TK, I see that you uh, would like to try and re-enter the ring after so rudely cutting me off. I did not cut you off. At Wait, what was that? I'm sorry. Get uh, to the joke. Coming from the deep south of the far north, very backwoods land, uh, 
I was I was trying to think. I said earlier, like I think I was too old for some of these shows, and I was specifically thinking about Goof Troop. What I was actually thinking about was the Goofy movie. Uh, Goof Troop, I just didn't have because we didn't have the Disney Channel for a very long time, and we were only getting these. Some of these shows aired on other networks, um, so a bunch of this stuff we just never got and both uh goof troop and bonkers were two that you know since we did not have the disney channel they didn't air on uh whatever affiliate network was running a bunch of these shows neither did schnookums and meat marsupilami did uh raw tunage sounds vaguely vulgar uh, well it's raw tonnage but they know what they're doing yeah um but yeah so i mean it's it's just funny now th- as you were talking about a bunch of these i was like no 92 that's not right i wasn't like fully into adult shit by then but it was that ultimately we just like didn't get it uh i would see it randomly when we would go to disney world and they would have disney at the yeah. hotel on the tv now kevo you know i could talk for 45 minutes about darkwing duck and just like what the title means to me and I know that uh, these three syllables have the the same reaction for you. So talk to me about Gargoyim and why. Uh... I mean, you know, where's my where's my little man? Oh, he's too far up there. I'll have him for Wednesday. I have my little plush Gargoyle Goliath. This guy's over here for now, though. Got my little Pop Funko Goliath. So, you know, when I think about Gargoyles, I think that this was the first really serious cartoon that wasn't based on something for me like yeah batman was batman don't be stupid that's batman you know what i mean but like this was this was gargoyles man it it debuted on a friday they treated it so serious there was a vhs and it seemed so dramatic and like the the first season it only aired on fridays yeah the lady in it had a cool red jacket and it wasn't even the first serious children's television show, but I feel like it was the first one that was done with such specific intent. What is... No, uh-uh. No, get this out of here. Absolutely not. I'm trying to be a good producer, too. No, get the hell out of here. Um, It was one of the first ones done with such serious, like... Because that made me lose my train of thought. Um, Now you gotta talk. I don't even know what the hell I was gonna say. You know, like, there was, like, Transformers a... and like the death of Optimus Prime. So like there wasn't nothing to make kids cry before this. But like that was just throwing stuff at the wall. This was they were really trying to build something, you know? And this was original. It was the like entire cast of Star Trek doing the voice acting. So it was like serious business acting. It was not like whatever voice actor will take the lowest possible pay and can show up on time gets the job. Like there were names behind this. There's a lot of stuff working behind the scenes to build the gargoyle engine that when it comes out, you just like the feeling is different. Like it feels different. And of the aforementioned Holy Trinity, Batman, X-Men and this the things that are unique about gargoyles shine through. Um, I love X-Men for being able to adapt some 
comic book storylines to uh to television in a way that i think made them very digestible for people gargoyles had to make up all their own storylines they were not they were not adapting anything and granted you know a lot of these like the writing isn't like well the first time i ever heard of that before but um you know the even something like the sort of complicated jilted lover relationship between demona and goliath is like a bit adult to figure out how you're going to be like and a six-year-old will just enjoy this they did it and like nico was saying it wasn't pulled from anything so if they did something like that on like batman you right. know well right. batman was batman and there was you know sources but, uh, you know, this was creating from scratch and it was trying to pull, you know, all these different concepts in like the romance between Goliath and Elisa being this very complicated thing. And I feel like that as queer people is something that we hugely resonated with. Uh, just in general, the concept of gargoyles feeling isolated, it, it pulled a lot of those X-Men concepts in ways that weren't quite as direct to humanity the way that you know the x-men are still human beings with a mutation so that's you know human but you know we weren't gargoyles so it was a lot more removed in that regard speak for yourself and yeah. you can see where greg weissman is super affected by sandman at this point you know 1994 yeah. it's five years into sandman's production and there's a certain sense of grandeur you know i i'm definitely a guy who's obsessed with being you know physically fit but like there's something to be said about how our brains determine size and recognize things and have certain reactions to it and these character model design sheets that disney fandom wikia has done such a beautiful job preserving and kevo has done such a great job highlighting really do a great job to express this when you look at xanatos he is bigger than any man should be he is bigger, stronger, you know, his proportions are Grecian God, but the man he is most unbelievably blown away by is Goliath. Now, the truth is, even a Lexington or a Brooklyn is stronger than a Xanatos any day of the week, but Xanatos is obsessed with a, a physical grandeur. And then there's other levels, like, frankly, Demona is very clear that she feels secondary because she's a woman. And Marina Sirtis's performance explicitly exposes the rage that a woman told she'll never be enough experiences. And yet you still have those things contrasted with a Hudson who's not sad he's old. He believes his age is well earned. And there's sort of a depth to the personalities and you might see, you know, these personalities at odds with those ideas in a single episode or in a multi-episode story, but the world of depth that was sought to be created for these characters is like unparalleled. And, you know, we'll get into it more on Wednesday, but I think it says a lot that this story has been able to be picked up so well in not one, but two different comic book volumes that serve as additional seasons you know kevo we've been collecting those comic volumes since they were coming out at slg which is now a maze inc 
And, you know, SLG Comics produced things like I Feel Sick, uh, Johnny the, Hom- the Homicidal Maniac, uh, Filler Bunny, um, you know, just some of the most, you know, Roman, Lenore, just like some of the most classic stories. Like, the, you know, I mean, Roman Dirge is Lenore, you know, just some of the most classic uh, indie freak out comics ever. And when Gargoyles went there, I was like, are you sure? But, you know, we collected those, Kevo, and like... It, you're rewarded with a like the most successful any Disney comic has ever been. It was such a rough time, though. Uh, you know, and 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 again, this is why I get so enraged when people are like, "Make new things." No, some people want the old things to come back, and it took so long to get them, and it had such a rough road back at Amaze Inc. and really thought it lost its only second chance and you know the number of chances that darkwing has had through comics as well and you know people have really struggled to get uh some of these still beloved and still fondly remembered uh properties back in uh back in the spotlight and uh so it's just really cool that it seems to be going strong currently and I know you have a, a really great uh, slide for that. Um, if you just want to bring those up for Darkwing and Gargoyles real quick, I just want to highlight, you know, that while not everything from the Disney afternoon that we're talking about has had this incredible longevity and is still seeing pro, uh, print like this, Darkwing and Gargoyles are seeing just an unparalleled era of success uh, coming back, you can see that the Darkwing uh, covers even reference the Frank Miller uh, Dark Knight Returns, one of the most famous comics of all time. And uh, just these runs, these incredible returns to these incredible eras of our childhood in modernized storytelling, in cleaned up form. It's just a really standout thing in my opinion i think it speaks to the heart of how these things kind of fought to exist you know you can actually see that under amazing gargoyles had issues 9 through 12 had to be released in trade so they've never seen full-size print they've never seen proper lcs release and that's you know that's a very different situation than seven issues coming out in seven months, high sellers, multiple covers. It's a very different world. And congratulations to Gargoyles for earning this. And and they did earn it. The, the stories are really good. I'm so excited to talk about the Gargoyles book, which I, I was just really impressed by and have really been enjoying reading it. I, my one like uh realm of disappointment or sort of zone of reservation is like now that we are all of these years later and i feel like we are living proof that there's still such a passion for these projects uh it's it's unfortunate to me that there hasn't been more done uh to there, there are so few projects that we are nostalgic about that have been allowed to grow up with us. 
the deal is if it can't be resold for the next generation of children, it can be sold as a nostalgia product, but it can't be sort of reworked to say like, oh, well, if you loved this when you were 10, how can we show it to you again as a 35 year old in a way that you might find really interesting? Uh, we, we saw that with Power Rangers. We uh, see like Star Wars is the example of like, and I, I love this when it's explained like this, but Star Wars is always for that generation of kids. I love that about Star Wars, uh, but it does mean that like for those of us who experienced uh, the new hope as sort of our childhood, there's no growing that up for us to revisit as 30 something and to me gargoyles especially is the best example of like man would i kill to see a mature gargoyle show the comic is actually doing a shockingly good job of getting really close to that but uh i i would really kill for the show and I cannot wait to come back and talk a little bit more about this, but we're going to take a quick commercial break, come back and finish out the Diz Afternoon retrospective. And while you're at it, while you're breaking, check out this amazing commercial. And don't forget, like, subscribe, comment, follow us on social media, uh, write your favorite recipe down, whatever you want to do. And we are back to finish out the Disney afternoon discussion. So we've gotten ourselves up through the mighty, mighty 1994, where we've looked at uh, up through Gargoyles. It kind of shocks me to see that Gargoyles ran an actual three years across three seasons, uh, ending in 1997. Just feels like so few of these shows actually ran the number of years that match the number of seasons. That uh, That's a different conversation. Yeah. So uh, let's move right along and take a look at the next thing. So Aladdin and Timon and Pumbaa, you know, it's really interesting that these are both so born of the Disney Renaissance, that these are both um, products that were created from uh, successful Disney movies. Uh, you know, they tried to do it a few other times with a few other programs, uh, the early Disney a uh, little mermaid show that didn't really go in the Disney afternoon. There was a Bell's Enchanted Tales show, which featured a live action bell um, telling some fairy tales that would get animated. Uh, Sing me a story. Yeah, these were the first uh, really big animated shows that matched any sort of programming. Um, I know Scott Wagner or Wagner uh, reprised his role as Aladdin. Uh, I know Dan Castaneda uh, stepped in for Robin Williams for The Genie, which he also played in Return of Jafar. Um, while Nathan Lane would play Timon for a handful of episodes in Timon and Pumbaa, uh, he would actually step down pretty early on in production, while Ernie Sabella would continue on in the role of Pumbaa uh, for the majority of the series. This is where I I am now a little too old for these and neither of these had much of an effect on me uh, other than to think it was interesting that they were happening. Um, 
It was it was especially I always associate uh, Aladdin and the Clueless TV show as being like, oh, that's weird. They just tried to make a TV show out of a movie. Aladdin was one that I very was into and very much got. And I felt like with the setup of there being first the sequel to Aladdin and then the series and then ultimately the third movie uh, sort of acting uh, to wrap everything up once the series was over. I always thought uh, built Aladdin into a really cool and interesting franchise that I've always uh, enjoyed. It was Timon and Pumbaa to me that was a lot stranger because that one uh, I felt, I don't know, it just felt like it came so far after and was so far removed from what the concept was. Aladdin was you know an adventure film but timon and pumbaa was this weird thing where like they used a lot of meta humor like look it's them using a chessboard and like a chef's serving dish that was you know that's a lot more uh the genie type humor um in a really weird way that i don't feel matched the tone of the film and um it was just very strange and i think the main thing is that the problem is that aladdin is a continuation of aladdin and that it's literally just called more aladdin it's just more aladdin but timon and pumbaa is literally side characters um so I think that with that in mind, it it really does just sort of pivot out of the branch that it comes from. And, you know, seeing three seasons, 86, three seasons, 85 episodes, um, you know, it seems like the, that was very intentional. It seems like um, it was... They had a goal. They had a production in mind. They said, you know, we're going to go back. We're going to make more from these shows. And with that in mind, they produced a pretty specific number of episodes. I just have to assume it has to do with how they aired. That they were all in the same form. Excuse me, regardless. This is another one of those things where uh, the first, like, 46 episodes aired from September 1995 to November 1996. And then three years later, 39 more episodes. And so the way that these things are produced and released is just really bizarre sometimes. Now, moving on uh, to the next set of shows, after Aladdin and Timon and Pumbaa, you know, 94-95, there's a pretty big changeover for what they're looking to produce even if you go by uh, Timon and Pumbaa being an offshoot, it always seemed like an offshoot that was more aware that it was created for our parents with us in mind than it was created for us with our parents in mind. Whereas Animaniacs was created for our parents with us in mind. Uh, that was like an adults program. Tiny Toons was created for us with our parents in mind. You know, there's a little bit of a, a kind of a difference in the middle. Uh, Quack Pack and Mighty Ducks feel very much like two shows created for 1996 that were designed explicitly with getting kids to bring up things that their parents would be okay with buying. 
They don't seem like they were designed to be thoughtful programs. Slightly aging the nephews to make them look dirty and wet does not accomplish anything to further the Duckburg narrative. And when I looked at the Mighty Ducks cartoon, I thought it was just going to be about an anthropomorphic, ugh, an anthropomorphic world of ducks that play hockey. No, it's aliens. Yep. And Ian Ziering is, uh, you know, there and uh, they're from Puck World. You know, the actual amount of time that the Disney company owned the Anaheim Ducks, um, you know, I it, uh, it's strange to me that this lasted shorter on the Disney afternoon than Mighty Ducks Game Changers lasted on Disney Plus. Huh. That's funny. Yeah, this is again like out of my. I actually didn't really know Mighty Ducks existed until we started talking about it for this. Um, I was vaguely aware of it, but like I did also assume it was about the hockey team that was somehow animated. And yeah, I just I don't have memories of either of these. And I think your description of what they did to Huey, Dewey, and Louie was pretty perfect. You're muted, but they just seem wet. Yeah, they just seem wet. Um, you know, Pamela Adlon plays uh, Dewey here. That is, of course, Pamela Adlon, uh, the indie darling of a million TV shows and movies. And she played the mom in Bumblebee, and she plays female Louis C.K. in everything. Oh, um, Ichi Daly's Louis, so Tommy Pickles. Yeah, I, you know. It's so interesting because I do think in some ways this gave birth to the modern DuckTales' reboot with more famous actors. Um, but, you know, Danny Pudi, uh, I can't think of Jean-Ralphio's real name, and Bobby Moynihan. Benjamin Schwartz. Benjamin Schwartz, right. Uh, Benjamin Schwartz, I guess. Uh, that's his full Hebrew name. Um, so... Yeah, I think the main thing is that Mighty Ducks was meant to sell toys. And uh, I think perhaps kids that were like eight were saying that DuckTales looked old. You could have just yeah. remastered DuckTales and it would have had a better result than Quack Pack. Yeah, no, but I, 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 I feel like for Mighty Ducks, though, they were trying to compete with Ninja Turtles and X-Men in a more serious way than Gargoyles. They tried to make Gargoyles compete with the other stuff. And there were things early on in Gargoyles that they were mandated to put on the show to sell toys. Like there was an airship that is used in season one. And the creator is like, but why would these creatures that fly need an airship? And he was told to shut up and put it in the show. And then I think they discovered that, no, people were not buying stuff like that through Gargoyles. So they wanted to create... Like, look at these, like, that's why they're aliens, and that's why they have a ship, and this motorcycle. I think they were trying to make something that would uh, compete with those type of shows. But, like, this was so random, and it was so randomly disconnected from both the hockey team and the film franchise that they were just trying to milk too much out of the phrase Mighty Ducks, and that's a huge reason why it flopped. All right, moving right along to the next set of slides. 
Is that not it? That's it. Oh, that's it? Isn't that all the shows? That's all the shows. That's all the ones that were in the script. Well, then that's it. it ends. Then the Disney afternoon is over. Actually, yeah. And uh, we're on to Hannah Montana, Camp Rock, uh, the Jonas Brothers. These were all the shows that were um, officially part of the Disney afternoon. There were other shows that uh, were shown in other affiliates in other countries, like even Kim Possible was shown uh, in some countries where they had Disney afternoon that late. But uh, that's uh, the, the major main block as far as uh, most people are concerned. You know, I think it's really interesting that that group of shows had such an impact on our generation that so many of them continue to be produced to this day. Uh, I think it is pretty significant because it represents a body of work that, uh, you know, has had a huge impact on, um, you know, a generation of TV watchers. Yeah, I mean, these were the formative shows for us uh i i for me it really does wind up being gargoyles and ducktales that are the two that i really never stopped thinking about but um i'm just really as we kind of reflect on it it's really crazy to think about all of the ways that like all of my media expectations were kind of set up here and even to some extent, the interconnected universe, like even if you don't recognize, um, you know, DuckTales and Darkwing Duck to be uh, super connected, I think uh, Launchpad, you know, he really does give that connective tissue. And then later on, the, dark, uh, the Darkwing Duck and I think it's DuckTales and maybe even Chip and Dale comics all kind of cross over together. So, uh, you know, it's really been a fascinating thing to see the evolution of these products together and the way, you know, any two shows kind of have a mirror reflection on one another. You know, you can just kind of pull out gummy bears and gargoyles. There's a reflection. You can pull out Darkwing Duck and gargoyles. There's a reflection. So even when, you know, it seems like we're comparing sort of completely disparate ideas, I think there's something to be said there. So uh, we had originally planned to play a, a bracketeering game. And uh, the question sort of becomes how fast we can get through playing it fun. Now, I think uh, by virtue of kind of the nature of what we're doing I, I do think we could get through it pretty fast uh so uh, i'm not sure what the the general consensus is from the team but uh we we're, we're talking about it in the green room and uh i, I mean i feel I like the entire point of this preamble because this as we've discussed this isn't going to be the last time we talk about disney afternoon or i would have been a lot better prepared for it uh, I, this really was supposed to be more of a preamble for the bracketeering game. So, um, you know, it, it might make the broadcast on the longer end, but uh, it's really up to you guys. I am uh, down for whatever, honestly. 
I think we can keep it fast. TK. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Let's, do it. let's keep it fast. Let's keep this. Let's keep this boy moving. The Disney afternoon only lasted seven years. We can keep this down to 57 minutes. Hold on. You guys ready? I'm setting a 57 minute timer. No matter what. There's we're a weirdly it. specific amount of time. I'm a weirdly specific amount of man. So let's go. I gotta pull my screen back up. Give me one second. Oh yeah, no. Um, while while you're pulling, I think one of the things that I want to say the most about the Disney afternoon is that as a kid, I felt like it was mine. I felt like my parents watched TV shows that I didn't really understand. And the shows that we did watch together were things like The Nanny. And um, when we did watch The Nanny together, that was always like an exciting thing that was like, oh, but like I didn't get half the jokes. They were about like dicks and like I was six. You know what I mean? So there was something sort of cool and magic and freeing about being on something like um the disney afternoon which then had its own soundtrack if you got it really did feel like that was our time and we would fight anyone who would dare to take it from us and i think it really speaks so much to why our generation responded so much to the marvel cinematic universe uh you know there wasn't necessarily crossovers between these mm -hmm. titles but they were all bound and connected by this um heading of the disney afternoon and there's so many more crossovers now where when you see so many Disney animated shows love to reference back to these things and you'll see Easter eggs to DuckTales or Gargoyles in so many modern shows. I completely agree. All right. So, I think we are loaded and ready to go. All right. Let's do this. Uh, oh, I lied. We're not. Give me one second. <laughs> You know, and it's even really interesting that uh, the two characters that are up on the screen are Goliath and Genie. I don't think I've ever realized it until looking at them like this right now, but there is an extent to which I think Goliath, looking like a hardened version of the Genie, makes an accessibility uh, to what could have been an otherwise really hard character visually. He's not enticing. He's not soft. He's not gentle. So having a character that re reflects, you know, the softer side of what a Goliath could look like recently in the cultural vernacular, I think does a lot to soften him, especially seeing these two color palettes next to each other. Did you pick them like with that intention for them to be back to back? Because it's really, really interesting. No, that was the only image of Genie I could find that I was certain came from the animated show. Because it said Toon Disney on it, and no other image said Toon Disney that focused on the genie. So it was just fortuitous luck and uh, sort of the nature of, I think, screen capping and screen cropping that we go towards certain styles of images for our image repositories, making it really easy to get great comparison shots. So then my question to you is, 
Who would make the better fashion line? Ah, Goliath being cut so early. <sighs> so here's the thing. I, I really get what you're saying, but I feel like every season of Project Runway, there's somebody who comes in and is like, hello, my thing is being weird. I'm weird. And they usually go home like third. The Goliath, the big beefy guy who I only do menswear and draping. He makes it to the finale. If I'm going to trust somebody to really design a cool line, it's going to be the guy who dresses like a GQ porn star, not the guy who dresses like a drag queen. My vote is also for Goliath. I just, would the genie be fun? Sure, but I don't think it would make the best fashion line. I only need to stress Goliath does not dress that way to be fashionable. He dresses that way to be functional. I'm totally like fine with Goliath winning this bracket. I just need it to be clear. He is not Rami draping. He is, what do you mean I can't order pants from L.L. Bean? Um, I feel like that's because this is his job. And if his job were to do a fashion line he would execute it with the same grace and ferocity with which he saves the residents of Manhattan. And I think that he has artistry in him. I would yes. put him more toward painting or pottery. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that he doesn't have any potential in him. Yeah. Angela Bassett did the thing. Um, yeah, I think it goes to Goliath. Okay. Why don't I go to Angela Bassett in my soup? All right. Um, all right. This is giving me trouble pulling up the images. So give me one second. But the next one is uh, who would you rather see as a drag queen? <laughs> and it's Hercules or Schnookums and Meat. So Hercules is featured Ooh. in Hercules, the animated series, which was in some markets part of the Disney afternoon. This was part of a line of popularized uh, young Hercules stuff for a hot minute. I think they just decided that Hercules had committed few enough rapes in uh, mythology that they could just popularize him real quick. Uh, no, they just needed a new Aladdin. Well, I just mean that, like, generally, like, the WPIX Hercules came out at the same time as the Fox Afternoon Hercules with Ryan Gosling came out at the same time right. as this. There was just, like, a run on Herculesings. Um, and wait, what was the question? Who would make the better drag queen? Hercules. Who would you, who would you rather yeah. see as a drag queen? Yeah. yeah. Especially Her teen Hercules. Yeah. I don't know Basically about Cameron. Herc, yeah. But, yeah. Let's and just then, get Schnookums and meat out of here. Kind of the flip side of that question, who would you rather see a drag queen in the style of? Oh, this is a horrible set. Um, now, can you remind uh, me of this gentleman's name? It's like... This Sir, is one of the bad guys from Gummy Bear. It, it is, but his name is like Sir Useless Douche. It's, it's like, like Duke something. Duke Silver. Duke uh, Silver, yep. Um, um, Duke Sigmund Igthorn. Thank you. And I even have a little write-up uh, courtesy of Disney Afternoon Wikia, which uh, was nice enough to tell us that basically he's kind of a, a scheming douche. He's a little silly, 
but he's a legitimate threat, even if he is kind of a Gargamel. Um, if you're asking me Team Dog or Buff Chainmail guy who makes the better Drag King... Drag queen in the style of was the question. Yeah, sorry, female guy. Yeah, it just wouldn't feel good. I don't. I don't want to see Jimbo's take on a teenager's body. Um, so <laughs> it's with uh, Sigmund. It's essentially like evil dramatic knight versus anime nerd, and I'd rather see the evil uh, medieval knight drag queen than an anime nerd in the style of pj from goof troop especially there's well, even better I'm anime nerd. outvoted because i 100 percent choose pj respect oh what's this gonna be all right i love uh, this tink this twink top video who would you rather see as the lead in a musical oh bonkers i yeah definitely seen several shows starring uh what's his name who used to be married to sutton foster so i've already seen christian him Borlay. christian borlay i've already seen a ton of christian borlay musicals so bonkers that's the same fucking thing uh ian Ziering, do i think ian Ziering can lead a musical um no wild wing flash blade is essentially if scott summers was the lead of the series he is a uh, hyper dramatic man baby and he's so one of the hottest guys ever yeah no he's hot i'm not he's even so saying beautiful. he's not but no sorry wild wing gotta go to bonkers there's already one michael crawford and he's already annoying enough totally nuts all right respect what well, well who's your vote Mine was for was for Ian Ziering. Ian Ziering, sure. Wild Wing, no. Uh, yeah, I know. I just don't know the <laughs> names, but um, I th- th- I just don't. I feel like I don't have enough of a relationship with Bonkers. Um, so by the way, in this image, this is specifically uh, Dale. Dale, yes. Okay. Uh, and the question is, who would you rather see in a gritty live action remake? Scrooge McDuck. It's called Succession. Next. And they tried to do that with Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie, and it sucked. It's the only bad thing to. my husband's ever done. Yeah. So many people we love worked on that movie. And just, uh, why? Do you hate it? Okay. Yeah. This is one I agree with. Although, I, you know... I don't know. I don't know that the Scrooge McDuck gritty live action movie would be succession. Uh, but I just like immediately looking at it, the Chip and Dale's gritty live action movie, I can picture and it's really dumb. And I like that. nephews and Webigail succession succession meets uncharted. Perfect. That would be a DuckTales live action like Perfect. genuine serious movie because you also need the treasure hunting element i'd I watch it. the shit out of this video yeah uh, what's this gonna be this is uh what's his name i can't even remember his name it's not roman the grand wolf no namar 
Oh, Ramon. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. From straight people. Yes, from straight people. Um. So the question for these two is, who would you rather see as the lead in a Murphy Brown newscaster show? Cruella Deville. Next question. Yeah. No. And the thing is, Xanatos would also be on that show, but he would not be the lead. He right. would be. Uh, He'd be Corky. That guy Corky with the voice. No, the guy with the voice. Oh, see, I, I asked him as Corky, and uh, he could become Corky Sherwood Forest, and it would be Corky Sherwood Forest Whitaker. Because he'd be gay in this one. I think we're on the same page. It's Cruella. Who, by the way, in the 101 Dalmatians TV show that was part of some international uh, Disney afternoon blocks, has no interest in fur. She is a hyper-greedy capitalist who wants... Oh, she wants their farm? She wants their land and of nothing to do with killing animals and everything of to do. Course. And it's literally the same yeah. version of the canon that the Cruella movie used. That's wild. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. And it's not connected. It's not the same universe, but it's the same take on. She is explicitly eager to become the greatest not to hurt animals. It's a right really way that they are evolving that villain to still be antagonized by animals, but not be focused on animal cruelty is so interesting. I, I mean, honestly, that movie was artist. very good, and I'm very interested to see if they pull off another one or two thousand percent. Oh, and it's uh, it's okay. So I'm just gonna say this once on air, and I'm never gonna say it again. I remember I, I memorized their names as a kid by saying. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Kevo's already embarrassed. Uh, Huey has a red Huey. Dewey is blue like dew. And Louie is green like a Guido. <laughs> uh, perfect that you gave that description, Nico. Because the question here is who would make the better lifting partner? Yeah, Louie. Louis hey, looks yo. like Louis looks like he sarms in the morning, sarms in the afternoon, and a couple extra times a day reminds you that he has the right to bear sarms. As uh, always, please feel free to voice all complaints about racial sensitivities uh, to X's for show. Yeah, you know what? You should send those emails to X's for show racial sensitivity department. Care of Nico's really worried that he's offended the Italian crew. Um, all our Italian fans over in Italy. Actually, Rick, if you're watching, hey. <laughs> hey, Jonah, most Italian really boy in the world. <laughs> uh, my vote is for Webby. I just feel like she'd be really supportive. Oh, I agree. She's definitely that girl at CrossFit who can outlift you, outjump you, outrun you, but never makes you feel bad about it. Just yeah. looks really cute I, in her bow. I just feel well, like she's a friend. So I will. I will totally be outvoted on this in the in this image. I would vote for this Louie over this Webigail. I if voted we were for talking this Louie. If we were talking about modern DuckTales, uh, the 2017 DuckTales, it would be no contest that Webigail Winning. would win. And Louie would not care at no. all. My description of Louie is so chill, bro. But you're both voting Louie. Yeah. Okay. This Louis seems like he takes lifting way too seriously. Yeah, with that boombox. 
Who would make the better wacky races racer? Kit Cloud Kicker. Um, Dewey's great and Dewey's smart, but like Dewey would make the better character on the magicians specifically. Like Huey would be great in the MCU and Louie would be great on Friends, but Dewey would be amazing on the magicians. Uh, Kit Cloud Kicker? Kit Cloud Kicker could like lead a Wacky Races reboot. He is such a uh, a character that influenced me. I'm to this day a roguish scoundrel because this little bear told me to be. And again, part of it is it's these iterations of, of the characters where this Dewey is this disaffected teenager where, sure, working would do. But, you know, this is he don't care. He don't care. Good choice. Well, who's your choice? Uh, these are two that I don't know very well, but my choice was Kit. I mean, you know, I yeah. don't uh, like he he rides a, a hover skateboard wakeboard. I, come on, sailboard. I don't know. There's a name for it. It doesn't matter. It's all I, I want. It. I've definitely watched this Jock Bros video. Um. This is a great one, too, uh, although it's like kind of answers itself already. Who would you rather see as the lead of a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie? Goliath. Yeah. That's but Hercules is going to be the one who gets it. I, the thing is, Goliath has that thing that a Marvel Cinematic Universe hero has. And it's actually something Uncle Scrooge has. Um, it's this level of thorough commitment to the character Hercules needs to be a thousand things because he's Hercules. He needs to serve a thousand purposes. But Goliath has one purpose. He does one thing. He is Goliath. And um, Goliath kind of taught me a lot about uh, heroic, like, definition in sort of like a kind of like a a Jack from Stargate kind of way. Kind of like Mm. a Janeway. Like the hero will always do no matter what, even if it hurts and they're not always going to make it look beautiful. They're not always going to look so like, that's one of the things that Janeway gets better than any other Starfleet captain. She's willing to look like ugly. She's willing to scream for her victory in a way that so many Starfleet captains will only do it if they look poised and Goliath will scream for his victory in a way that a true hero like it's it's hero code stuff and goliath is such a special fictional character in that regard it's why he gets toys and dolls and action figures 30 years after his show went off the air when you know game of thrones is already dropping by 10 percent every week you know what i mean and so much about this iteration of hercules was specifically about wanting the fame and not about you know yeah actually wanting to be a hero this was tyler hercules yeah how about you, Teak? Are you a, a Goliath or Hercules? Oh, of course I'm Goliath, all the way. I mean, like I said, Hercules is actually going to be the one who gets the movie. <laughs> but uh, if I was my world, it would go to Hercules, of course. Uh, who would make the better Sith? The question was actually who would make the better Jedi slash Sith, but I want to know who would make the better Sith. Bonkers, because I think Hammerspace makes you a better Sith. Right. Pure evil is scary, sure, but like... What actually makes Darth Sidious? No, which one is um? Yeah, Sidious is a uh, Emperor Palpatine, right? Yes. Yeah. What makes Sidious so frightening is that he's literally never running out of ideas. Yeah. What makes him scary isn't that he's evil; it's that he's literally willing to do anything to be evil. 
Sigmund seems like a kind of guy who has a code and it's about being big and scurrer. But um, bonkers would shrink down to the size of an ant and explode in Uranus. You know what I mean? The trope uh, is named for a character that was earlier on, on this board. The Xanatos Gambit is specifically a trope that is named for the concept of always having contingencies on contingencies on contingencies and you always find a way to make whatever happened work for you and that's something that palpatine also uh very strongly represented it's just we didn't get to know that character in time for the trope to be named after him and i think bonkers also uh would have contingencies on contingencies and always be rolling whereas a character like uh Lord Dooface. Yeah. yeah, he uh, probably would crumble. Kind of like a har-har binks, if you will. Yep. <laughs> yeah, bonkers. You know, it's just he's not following the laws of time and space, and that's where things get really frightening. Yeah. That's why Jamie uh, Braddock is the scariest of the three. Wow, this capitalist Thunderdome here. I'm hard. <laughs> Who would you rather see as the subject of jury duty? Oh my God, Scrooge. Because Cruella would have no patience for it, but Scrooge would feel like he has to fulfill the obligation. Cruella would walk out. She'd be late. She'd leave leave early. She just wouldn't have interest in it. Here's the other thing. Cruella, for all of her self-involvedness, has a deep knowledge of like pop culture and celebrity. (laughs) Scrooge has not known who a celebrity is since Doris Day. He wouldn't know who James Marsden was in the first place, let alone there being the risk of him recognizing any of the other actors. No, he would be horrified that it wasn't Rock Turner. Um, He'd just be so disappointed. Uh, Where's Lauren Bacall? The Uh, last celebrity he recognizes is Ian McKellen, that young up-and-coming actor. Yeah, Mm. give me that young upstart. Uh, Popular with all the ladies. It is, of course, Scrooge McDuck, and that would that show Opulence. would take over the world. I yeah. just guys, when we covered jury duty, um, it was literally already called a flop. Mm. Like the week we covered jury duty, it was being called one of the most expensive failures in Amazon's recent history, and that's considering some of the things that the Alexa had to had to drop. Um. I cannot believe that the thing that turned it around was the discussion of the fact that they submitted it for um, scripted uh, and that it caused a lot of people to look at it and say this deserves awards, but maybe not those awards. Um, Just that Ronald Gladden is kind of being exactly who he was on the show in all of these press tours where he's like, guys, calm down i'm just one guy on this show you should be talking to the actors they worked hard who does that so i just i want to praise jury duty for continuing to um but whether it's the commentary episodes where the cast talk about how they made the show or it's the uh behind the scenes stuff that amazon has been releasing or the fact that amazon is so proud of it they took it off a freebie and put it on amazon prime 
And even that, even that transition from freebie to Amazon Prime is going to be a real uh, trendsetter for Damn. companies. You know, we discussed this last week, but we're going to the aftermath of this writer strike is going to be that there are going to be more ad supported channels and more free channels and more we crank out the content and determine whether it's premium based on whether or not you show up. So jury duty was a really fascinating look. It is kind of a precursor the way that house of cards, when we first saw it was the only streaming show and it was the only show to drop, you know, uh, one day we're going to look at jury duty and be like, well, that's how everybody does it now. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, Just that Jason Marsden is, James. James, James, thank you. Jason Mars. Jason too. He did the voice of Schnookums and Frank Welker did meat, actually. That's why his name is on my mind. Stop. Really? Yes. That makes sense though. Yeah, that's that's why his name is on my mind. Just a whole thing. I couldn't be prouder to have been part of that. Um and just you know, anything that like anytime uh, a blogger or a vlogger or a podcaster you love talks about something and they become part of the discussion. It really is part of the thing that makes a Romeo and Juliet last 500 years. It seems really fucking stupid to say it that way. But think about how many people held on to Captain America the day his first comic sock and Hitler on the jaw came out. And think about how that literally employs millions of people today. And jury duty is a piece of art that I am the proudest of talking about. Because people didn't care about it when we talked about it. And I don't think we caused people to care about it. I think a million us did. And I think the spirit of Ronald Gladden's heart did. And anyway, enough about Jury Duty. It's the best show in the world. And I can't wait to talk more about it. And uh, what I think is going to be, and I'm calling it now, a record number of technical Emmys. Yeah, for sure. A record number of technical nominations, if nothing else. I don't think it's going to get the acting nomination they're pushing for. Uh, there's just not enough buy-in in the world for that. There's not enough fucking billboards on Santa Monica for that. But there definitely is enough to sweep the technicals. Um, but back to the Brack. Who do you think would make the better Food Network reality TV star? Louie! Yeah. Oh my god, especially like a SARMS king. Uh, always... Back eaten he's gonna be like oh this is a good burger that was him trying to say it with a mouthful of burger maybe this one had been dewy but nope yeah truly my only caveat is that kit has that like travel show vibe to him yeah i'm gonna take you to bora bora we're gonna get the world's most expensive coffee he could grow up more to charity than 85 other celebrities combined anybody who uh ever wants to put their money behind a celebrity who actually puts their money where it matters guy fieri guy mm-hmm. gives to charity like i wish i could so yeah. and officiates gay weddings but yeah this one goes to louis yeah who actually looks like guy fieri in that image which is funny enough whatever the answer is it's goliath um <laughs> Who would make the better star in a wacky side-scrolling video game? I still think Goliath. (laughs) No, it's bonkers, you dummy. No. Uh, Wacky. Goliath can't be, like, Goliath can't be wacky. Like, what's he going to do? Turn into, if it's turned into a bat, that's really on the nose. It would be, it would be like Flappy Bird, but you're Goliath. 
I got. Yeah, go I mean, I'd still it. enjoy whatever it was, right. but I mean, the answer is really bonkers, bad fur day. Yeah, right, well, bonkers and ratchet. Don't support Goliath the way I do. So. No. Okay. I mean, you look like Goliath, but like, I'm sorry, sir. I'm working on my mullet. No, but you have that like angular face into the jaw thing. <laughs> Who would make the better FBI agent? I'm sorry, but there is literally nobody who could take anybody in a fight like Uncle fucking Scrooge McDuck. Plus, he's a narc. Exactly. He's that's the actual narc. answer. <laughs> Kevo is correct. That is the <laughs> I think Uncle Scrooge is the definition of a cab. A <laughs> quack. Okay. And finally, who would make a better Starfleet captain? Scrooge McFucking Duck. Yeah. I mean, we're going to go in to the money pit. I'm just trying to picture a Ferengi Starfleet captain. That's all. Okay. And I hear you, but I'm trying to picture a, uh, what is, why can't I think of her, um, from Lower Decks? Mariner. No. Her mom? No. Ooh, then. What's her name? The only other female lead on Lower Decks. Tendi? Tendi. Her people would not make a good Orions. captain. Orions. Orions would make a terrible captain. That's bonkers as a captain. It's gotta be the Ferengi. He'd always protect the ship. It's worth too much. Alright. But I feel like bonkers would always protect the crew. I feel like Bonkers will always protect having a good time. That was a terrible Bonkers impression. All right, Timon, Gadget, uh, fight the little little flesh-colored mole people. Who would make the better American Idol judge? Timon. Timon. He's Nathan Lane. Gadget would be constructive. Guys, I don't want to sound weird, but if Gadget were a real lady, I'd be really into her. I think it's weirder that you think you're the first adult man to say that. Yeah, I just something about she's so smart and she's good at like she's basically a lady JoJo, like she's Jonah from yeah. the show, but a girl. I'm totally into that. Yeah. Come on, it is. I. uh... I, th- I mean, I guess ultimately I think it's Timon. I would rather see Gadget. Same, same. Uh, we need I'd rather her get work. We yeah. need somebody else to come up with the word pitchy. <laughs> okay. Who would you rather see as a Batman-esque hero? All right. Now, here's the thing. I think that of all of the characters that have ever inspired my physical transformation, there's something about not realizing as a kid the ways that I am very drawn to Launchpad and his physicality. But the reality is, what makes a good Batman? It's mystery. It's suspense. It's never knowing what the shadows bring. And when Launchpad walks into a room, Launchpad has all of the... Like, there is no better example of Launchpad than the most annoying and buff Jeff Winger ever is. 
the okay. buffest Jeff Winger ever is, plus the most annoying Jeff Winger ever is, is Launchpad McQuack. Well, but with Troy's brain. I don't know. I think the most annoying Jeff Winger ever is, is Troy, but he's older, so nobody questions it. Nobody Jeff questions is much it. smarter than Troy. Uh, I think Jeff's just older than Troy. I think Troy is really smart. I think Troy just lacks experience to understand how to use it. I don't think Jeff's dumb. I think Troy's brilliant. I shouldn't say smart. He's uh, Jeff is so much more cynical than Troy, and Troy's not going to get cynical even when he's older. But Marsupalami... <laughs> Hear me out. Who do you think would make a better Batman? Troy or Abed? It's Abed. Marsupalami is the Abed. That is uh, a solid argument. And uh, I think I am swayed. Kevo, where are you at? Um, God, this is the first time that we've done one of these random ones where I'm like, kill us both, Spock. I don't have an answer. I don't. As long as it's Ethan Peck uh, smothering me with his chest. I mean, I guess I, I, I'm mostly going for Marsupalami because I don't think it fits Launchpad. I don't think that it's in his personality type. I think there's a lot of like, you could say this or that is fun to try, but I really think it's too far outside of the character of Launchpad Agreed. Uh, for it to be a gritty reboot for type thing for him. So I don't think he has Batman in him unless it's like Adam West Batman. Lamb. It's uh, uh the 1960s, and uh, uh, we're stopping crime by uh throwing up some giant word balloons. Oh wow, these just always work out so great. Who would make a better Meredith Grey esque lead on Grey's Anatomy? Elisa or is that Chip? Yeah, Elisa Maza or Chip the Chipmunk? Yeah. This is tough because Elisa Maza has one thing that an Emeritus Gray can't have. Elisa Maza already knows who she is. Elisa Maza is a lot more Christina, yeah. And Meredith Gray is about the evolution. She's about the discovery. Chip has had so many jobs. Chip is a Barbie boy. But Elisa is one thing. She's a cop. And she's not a bad cop. I mean, all cops are bad cops because they let other cops be bad cops. But cartoons is a cartoon cop. She worries about gun violence and helping her friends in, in a way that is not realistic of a true human. I think Chip would make the better Meredith Grey, though I believe Elisa Maza is the better realized woman. interesting argument i think chip is a lot less focused i think he's a lot more um finding himself a lot more needs the help i feel like elisa maza was pretty strong on her own and i think chip weirdly a lot more conveys that type a character who needs to learn and grow the way that meredith gray needed to so I'm giving it to Elisa. Um, Meredith does have a lot of growth to do in the first seasons as a person and as a romantic lead. But as a doctor, she is always steadfast 
goal oriented. There's never any question that what she's supposed to be is a doctor. And even when the show attempts to put her in those situations where she should question it, that's never on the table. The question is, what will she sacrifice in her life because she knows she has to be a doctor? Uh, but she's always a doctor. And I just, I see the vibe for the two of them. Uh, I see Elisa being a really great lead on the show. Uh, also, like, administering medicine to gargoyles would be really fun. So I think I'm outvoted, but um, I do like everybody's arguments on this one. I do also enjoy Maz's anatomy. The worst. Okay. What who the hell? Make, who would make the better sports uh, franchise mascot? Darkwing Duck. Let's Darkwing move on. Duck. This is cruel. Make, uh, Goslin is the perfect daughter. If I could have a daughter as cool as Goslin, yeah. I would have children. Like, I, boy or girl, if I could have any child as cool as Goslin, I, good God. And specifically mascot, Goslin yeah. would be the better sports announcer. She's a fan. Yeah, yes. she's a queen. She would yeah. get all the coolest sponsorships. If she got a Bud Light deal, we wouldn't have had any of this stupid nonsense. Not that we should have had even one ounce of it. And she might have, she might have even won this against someone else. But Anyone. sorry, not not her dad. Sorry, not, not the not the not the coolest. I don't think she wants to win this against her dad anyway. No, Darkwing's her hero. She would never. She'd rather play. <laughs> Who would make the better restaurant manager? Whoa, these the bear. It doesn't matter. Don't go to this restaurant. I don't want to vote because a vote for this is a vote for food poisoning. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm giving it to the kid. He's got a knife. The fish girl can't be trusted. She's not going to take that job seriously. No. She's going to be late all the time. <laughs> I mean, at least the, the he knows how to make gummy berry juice. Oh my yeah, god. exactly. Oh my god, she won't... Be, she, if it's a fish, if it's a seafood restaurant, she'll just be like, hang out with your dinner. Yeah, that could get very uh, dark for her. We're giving it to the gummy bear. Oh, Lord, these two himbos. They're the same um, guy. It's just its just white rice or couscous, but it's the same guy. Who would you rather see in a 1950s sitcom remake? Oh, Aladdin. I really think, like, you know, like, Sultan of the Suburbs would be a really interesting <laughs> sitcom. He has a magic lamp. Uh, when he comes home, he puts on his turban. I would be really into the show. It's on CBS. <clears throat> Where are you at, Kevo? I don't know. You go first. Uh, I think I'd probably give it to Aladdin. Uh, Huey... Huey, I could see in like a a, a Fonzie-esque role. I'd love him in a 70s show. Exactly. I was literally thinking I would love him in a 70s-esque show. A thousand sure. percent. 
But, uh, yeah, Aladdin, you know, even just like, because a 50s sitcom isn't going to be that funny anyway. So if he, like, <laughs> if he can give us, like, a tumble or something, or like, I feel like he'll do a routine, he'll do a tap dance. Um, so I'm giving it to Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. Who would be the better tour guide through their hometown? Oh, Max. He would be charming and effervescent. And I feel like Pumbaa would be like, and this is where you get the best grub. And Max would be like, and this is where you get the best weed. Let's go smoke some weed. You are making Max so much cooler than he canonically is. I was going to say, I'm absolutely giving this to Pumbaa. Uh, they meet He's this a random- literal pig man. Yeah, yeah. Um, I trust that literal pig man. They meet this random kid in the woods and they're like, you're our friend now. Let's teach you a song. We're just going to hang out all day. He has a relaxing like next 10 years of his life. Uh, okay, no when worries. he does it, it's cute. But when John Wayne Gacy does it, it's a felony. Yeah, that's the difference between those two people specifically. Uh, Kevo, break this tie. Yeah, you know, I think it's giving Max a little bit too much credit there. Uh, he's kind of a loser and kind of jaded and disaffected. I don't think he has any interest in giving tours of hometowns. Nailed Whereas it. that's literally part of Pumbaa's introduction scene is yep. let me give you a tour of my jungle and show you the best places to eat. Um, We're just going to hang out. I would rather hang out with Max, but to get a tour of their hometown, I, nah. Yeah. I don't want it. I don't want that from a teenager. You said they're going to be a dick the whole time. I guess you could go there. Teenagers. You give them an inch, they'll walk all over you. Who would you rather see in the Raven role in that's in a that's so Raven remake? Oh my god! Obviously, the pilot bear who will just occasionally be like. Oh, I can't see. I'm blinded. Oh, Jesus. I'm flying the plane. Oh, Especially because no. it's a comedy. Um, Jasmine would take that job too seriously. Yeah, she'd be no fucking fun. She would be no fun. It would be Donna Martin having dyslexia. It's not funny dyslexia. It's like serious dyslexia. So I'm going blue all the way. Hundo P. Oh, God. <laughs> It's the same face. Good Lord. Oh, God. What a great question. Who would you rather see as a Madonna-esque pop star? Marsupilami. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Timon would never work I don't even want Timon to be a Nathan Lane-esque pop star. Who... <laughs> Who would you rather see in a Cars esque reskin? Oh, Darkwing Duck, um, because he already looks yeah. like a car. Yeah. And, uh, I would have to come up with what Chip's car looks like, and it would be like a little acorn golf cart, and that's not very powerful. Some uh, are thinkers, and some are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who would attempt to play a fun prank, but it goes horribly wrong? The The bear. bear. The gummy bear, of course. Yeah, hi. As that bear, um, 
his little hand on his hip and heel kicked out and he just and starts the, the knife fire. and the knife <laughs> who wants to get stabbed but in a fun way <clears throat> who would win in a hot dog eating contest Pumbaa unfortunately yeah. as as a guy who literally uh identifies as Baloo with one of his partners I uh I want it to be Baloo but uh it's Pumbaa Man the guy that identifies sexually as Pumbaa <laughs> Who is more likely to appear on Cops Darkwing Duck I'm trying to help, so you need to let me. Yeah, uh, do you mean as a cop or do you mean as a criminal? Because maybe Marcel Palami. I mean, I, but... I meant like I I meant it in not like who is a cop, but like, oh, we gotta go pick this guy up. I still think it's Darkwing. I think Darkwing is running around in underwear and a giant Carmen San Diego hat, yeah. and they're like, we have to arrest this adult duck. Gavo. No, as a criminal, I'm going Marsupilami. As a vigilante trying to help the cops. Right. Darkwing. Yeah. But, uh... I I give it to Marsupilami. All right. Outvoted. This fucking bear, man. He... Nobody can say his name is Cubby, but he's really making the rounds. Whose memoir would you rather read? Oh, Pumbaa's. Pumbaa's memoir is kind of disturbing. That thing has got to be incredible. I saw... I can't even imagine who went down on who with a pile of cocaine. But it's going to be like Bugs Bunny went down on Gossamer while Lola Bunny did a pile of cocaine off of Betty Boop's ass. Like, it's got to be incredible. And Pumbaa was there for all of it. Whose movie based on their memoir would you rather watch? I honestly don't know that I would enjoy Pumbaa's fucked up memoir, but I feel like Marsupilami's would be French and cute and like Amelie, but with a tail. So I'm giving it to Marsupilamelie. Yeah, sure. I see it. Marsupilamelie. Okay. Who would make the better host of The Tonight Show? One of them is a silent cartoon. <laughs> And one of them no, he is talks. Jay Leno. Oh, he talks in the Disney one. You're absolutely right. He only speaks one word in other versions, like Hoobastank or something. I love um, the idea that Scrooge takes to his writing team and becomes like the new Craig Ferguson. Yeah, Scrooge all the way. Late night, but reasonably priced with uh, Scrooge McDuck. I see him as more of a Carson, but uh, still... Yeah. yeah. They ask him to do Topo Gijo and he's like, I'm not doing this shit. Plus, you know, Scrooge just makes sense as the winner, does he not? Oh my god, he was the winner winner? That's the yeah, winner. The winner, right winner. Chicken dinner. Alright. Winner right. winner hosting a late night show, I guess. It had to be Scrooge McDuck, we always knew. But that Marsupalami came in second place is pretty impressive. It's the shock Unexpected. of the day. Um, yeah. That that the the gummy bear did so well. Who would have thunk? Good for Cubby. And guys, for the record, uh, we did that in uh, quite literally 43, 44 minutes. So, hey. uh, you know, and 
that's that's just the fun of bracking that uh you never know how it's gonna go and you know that's kind of like the magic of this show we are trying to clean up our act a little bit uh to make it easier to figure out what we're covering when we're pretty sure that every weekend there's an episode that kind of represents the best of streaming, whether it's television or movies, but there's something that represents our love of streaming media. Uh, there's usually something that hits on all of the cool things that's either a movie or a, uh, the Tonys or something, but we're bringing back what started this whole show off. We're bringing back comics with this Wednesday with a return to X's for Show's comic feed. We're going to be talking a bit about some of the comics that we came up uh, that came up today. Like we're not going to look as much at the previous volumes, but we're going to take a good look at the current volume of Darkwing Duck. We're going to be taking a good look at the current volume of Gargoyles, which is one of the best-selling books on the market. If you're missing out on this, man, I feel bad for you because like some of those variants, Kevo's holding retail for close to the triple figures. So I love uh, the purple instead of white variant that was a really cute idea it really an incredible touch and they're not sparing any expense it's really been beautiful and honestly tk this is what like i felt for you over like comics and like you know when you were like i want to bring comics back i was like yes and uh you and i have changed as men as like comic men since starting this version of the show and what we're going to talk about wednesday is like a, a reckoning of who we are yeah, I mean, you know, I think comics is really in our blood and uh, it's a it's a bedrock foundation of what we do and I think always will be. But I will say taking a month and being a little bit away from comics has been really nice, has given me a ton of perspective. And here's the thing, it was a month. That's no time at all. I caught up in three hours uh and you know i'm very happy to be caught up and i'm reading a whole bunch of new stuff now and i love it all but like uh for you out there who might be feeling any kind of trepidation about any comic book or any storyline or feeling a little bit inundated by the weekly serial format month ain't gonna kill you but it'll give you a ton of perspective when you come back to it i'm excited to talk about it and uh, I'm all excited to talk about tomorrow's episode because tomorrow's yeah. episode is perhaps the most me masturbating on television that we're going to get to for a hot minute. Um, God, I love game shows. I really do. And uh, it's been a pretty cool time for game shows. All um, all major news items aside, uh, been a pretty good run for ABC game shows for a couple of years. Uh, though Match Game did recently receive a cancellation notice. Uh, but things like $100,000 Pyramid, uh, things like Press Your Luck, Weakest Link over on NBC, Lingo over on CBS, they represent a new era of game shows, while tragically uh, the new supermarket sweep by uh, the unstoppable Leslie Jordan was canceled. Leslie Jones was... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah um was canceled huge bummer um there are a lot of you know really queer black and uh other minority game shows out there and they really represent a cool corner of tv and i'm really excited to talk about those in a pretty light fun discussion tomorrow of course we're also going to be taking a look at some recent films like transformers uh like uh 
Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse, thank you. That helps. Um, we also have some really cool new things coming up oh. in our feed that I'm pretty excited to talk about. Strange New Worlds is going to be great. Secret Invasion. And the Barbie movie. I mean, I think the three of us are like absolutely upside down excited about Barbie. Uh, more than anything, I'm just excited to make sure that it outperforms Oppenheimer by a mile. Oh, by a, by a nuclear mile, as yep. it were. So, uh, Kevo, TK, do you guys have any sign-off notes before we close out this Bad Mama Jamma? No, just, uh, you know, love talking to you guys about our shared childhood memories instead of our shared childhood traumas. And uh, I I thank you both for getting this on my radar because i really especially am loving the comics i'm so excited to talk about those on wednesday and uh i've just been having a blast with this stuff kevo is the guy who kind of single-handedly kept gargoyles alive by purchasing every single t-shirt comic book toy uh everything this side of 300 dollars maquettes uh how about you any close off uh man that Disney Afternoon on X's for show is uh, perfect coloration. Um, any closing notes uh, for this spectacular episode? Um, it was fun. It was a nice little uh, preamble uh, for any other things that were Disney Afternoon that we might want to cover. Whether it's, you know, talk a little bit more about the history of the uh, programming block in general. Or there's so many shows that were on it that we loved. Um I'm excited to talk about the comic continuations on Wednesday. I'm excited for us to not just get back to comic broadcasting, but, you know, there were so many comics that you guys have wanted to talk about that were not really in the current linear, uh, specifically Marvel uh, narrative that you haven't really had the opportunities to talk about, you know, Miracle Man, our coverage of that sometimes felt so forced in because it's so far removed from everything Marvel and X-Men. Truly. And you guys, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're the X-Boys, but you're also so much more. And uh, so I'm excited for you guys to have the opportunity to really branch out with uh, all of your own comics knowledge. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can, once it gets back on track, maybe start doing some Sandman coverage to lead into the second season of that. You know, we are doing much to expand all the things that we cover on this show uh, across so many different forums and mediums. And it's just a real cool, fun time. Well, I can't wait to come back and talk more about all of these incredible projects. But until we do, uh, Kevo, where can everybody find you on the interweb? You can find me at Kevo Really. That's K E V O R E A L L Y. TK, where can the folks don't find you? You can find me at X Nate X Gray X. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over the interwebs uh, in some pretty cool projects. It's Pride Month, so I just want to promote real quick that I am the very uh, honored recipient of a group glad and a group gamer award this year for my contribution and all of the amazing contributions everybody gave to Joe glass and Matt minor edited young men in love, a real incredible book. So proud to be part of it. So grateful. 
Uh, you can also find me all over the interwebs at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And you guys can catch everything about this show at X's for Show on all of your socials. And tomorrow, streaming at 6, uh, talking TV. And uh, until then, guys, uh, keep it bright, keep it light, keep it strong, and we'll see you next time. Go make some gummy berry juice. Ooh, that's hot. Yeah. Rough, tough, burly sailors. You know, that song made me really want chest hair as a kid. And now you have it. Yay. Now I have it. And I'm a bear person, so. You did it. Gay. Mission accomplished.